This is Unfiltered, episode 207 for October 4th, 2016. Uh, some have suggested that perhaps we would wind up with an, an October surprise that could impact Hillary Clinton. And this morning, just one hour ago, Julian Assange with a video link from London into an event in Berlin made it very clear that starting next week, he would have 10 weeks of releases of uh, different data that would cover the war, arms, oil, Google, and the U.S. elections. All stuff he shouldn't have, uh, all stuff that we should not be uh, uh, happy that he has. As we continue the Area Code cast this week, Area Code 207, where we uh, uh, take a look at Maine. That's Rekai's home state. Did you know that, Chris? I did. Yeah, that's right. So we're going to be jumping into Area Code 207, which covers the entire entire state Yeah, I hear it's the Maine. cheap man's Washington. It, well, remember, Washington used to have one Area Code a long, long time ago <laughs> in a galaxy far, far right. Now oh, this is unfiltered. Yeah, that's right. We're going to leak some wiki stuff this yeah, episode yeah we're also going to leak some cyber news yep the situation in syria we started with good news a few weeks oh, ago now it's turned it's so the bad worse. we're going to tell you what's yeah. going on and man the egg on the face of the u.s we will be getting into some of the clinton stuff this week but i had i had a surprise you did i really honestly did i i i, I thought the did you get a phone call from gary johnson or <laughs> no. what happened <laughs> No, no, not that. No, oh. and no, my family didn't uh, remember that I was recording a show. No, no, no surprises oh, like that. Oh, no. I, I thought the the most boring, the most boring segment this week would be when we talk about Trump's taxes. I was, I was, I put that off until 1.30 p.m. today. Why'd you, why'd you put that off? Because I just, I'm so sick of hearing about the election. I couldn't, I, I just, I can't even wrap my head around it anymore. I couldn't put myself through it. And then, Chase. Yeah. And then. You had an epiphany. That, uh, that producer, Matt, you know, he had a whole bunch of clips set aside for me about the, because it was like an area I didn't, I didn't. You're like, I, I don't I care. I just totally I hate taxes. <laughs> so, you know, he doubled down on it for me. And I, after I got through the whole batch of clips, I got his four clips. Yeah. And by the end of it. Yeah. I believe I'll convince you that the Clinton campaign is behind all of this. So, so, so you're saying to me that not only that producer Matt brainwashed you into <laughs> talking about the – sorry, producer Matt – but talking about the Trump tax thing, but also to convince you that Clinton is behind it. I don't even think he knows that I've come to this conclusion. Oh, fair enough. I believe – so I just came to this conclusion after watching all of the clips that he'd collected, and right. I have refined them down to a small list. Uh-huh. And I, what I will demonstrate, I hope, is the well-oiled machine right. that is the business monster that is the Clinton campaign. And so we'll talk about that. So it was coal, and you squeezed it into a diamond. Like like Superman. Fair enough. Yeah. So let's start, though, with the, the cyber, cyber, like yeah. we'd like to do. ASO? There is a lot going on. In fact, there was some breaking news just before we started the show. Some big news. Breaking some Yahoo news. news. Yep. Yahoo news. Oh, you know what? I need to change my password. 
I'll be right back. <laughs> but before we get there, let's talk about the elections, Russia, and the threat we all face. Tonight, the cyber attack targeting the Democratic National Committee. Tonight, you know, they all start with this. Tonight. 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 You know, we covered the early version, the proto version of this story last week because it was yeah. breaking as we went on the air. And now yeah. this is the refined, full-on propaganda pitch that you should be concerned about when? Tonight. Tonight, the cyber attack targeting the Democratic National Committee could be much worse than originally thought. Law enforcement and Democratic sources telling CNN investigators are planning to image Democratic staffers' phones to see if they've been breached. Uh, Chris, uh, uh, we heard this last week. Yeah, this is – isn't it funny? It's recycled. Yeah, it only – like I said, they've taken this initial scare tactic and they've refined it now to make it a little more scary because, yeah, this is not new information. This is not even something that the FBI is doing right now, but we can spin it in a way that makes it seem urgent. Ah, Because it's happening tonight. Of course, they have to kind of admit that it's not really anything new, but yet somehow it's still – what does the lower third say right there in that uh, red so box? sources – What's it say above that? New tonight. It, what does it say? New tonight. New. So they have to make it sound like it's new information ah. even though it's months old information. Fair enough. If they have, it could be part of the previous hack of Democratic committee emails widely believed to be the work of the Russian government. Of course. There's a great deal of concern that the group behind – the original hack, the fancy bad uh, group crowd strike. tied to Russian military intelligence, has the capabilities to target phones. Can we, can we come up with a new rule? Yeah, yeah. What's the new rule? Uh, you are not allowed to simply be a cybersecurity expert because you go to a website with a logo and press F11 on your keyboard. You can't just be a cybersecurity, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. That's what they always do, man. The previous well, you got you, you to remember. You got to remember who's their talk. Chris, you're talking to somebody in TV here. Who is their target audience? Well, I, I don't even I can't even really actually wrap my head around who their target supposedly the is. The target is people who are afraid of the computer. <laughs> so so they so they have to put us <laughs> of the computer. So they got a big uh, fancy bear yeah, logo. Yeah, you got it. You guy. got yeah. I mean, the thing is, you can't this have nothing there. This guy's got himself like a, a 2008, 2009 Apple iMac. He's managed to hit F11 in his Chrome browser, yeah. and uh, he has got the. Uh, so this makes and this, by the way, the yeah. only reason I'm stopping to mention this is it's like it happens every time we cover these stories. That's true. Behind the original hack, the fancy bear group tied to Russian military intelligence has the capabilities to target phones. Dmitry Alperovich, whose firm CrowdStrike tracked down the hackers in the DNC case, says Vladimir Putin has thousands of hackers working for him. CIA Director John Brennan, in an interview with CNN's Aaron Burnett, spoke of Putin's ambition. I wonder why the fan of Chicken doesn't ask him, how many... Hi, how many cyber agents or hackers do we have working for us? <laughs> yeah, how many yeah. developers alone worked on Stuxnet? No, no, no. You would only get that when uh, someone from RT asks their equivalent on their news program. Then you would Mr. get that Putin answer. has been very aggressive um, on the foreign policy front, but also very aggressive in the cyber realm. And we know that the, the Russians are, are very active in that uh, area. And there's one hacking entity tonight being tied more close tonight. And, you know, tonight, it's funny he says that Mr. Putin's been very aggressive in the foreign policy. Of course, that's referring to Crimea. Right. That's what that's good for. Yep. And then in the in the cyber realm. And I'm not just saying this because it's the thing that everybody harps on. I honestly I honestly want to ask you, have we heard of any other equivalents to Stuxnet or the NSA spying program? From any other nation. I mean, they all spy. They all have hackers on their payroll. They're all writing malware. They're all buying zero-day exploits on the dark web. I'll, I'll grant you that. 
All major governments are doing that. Right. But have we heard any stories about something Stuxnet was was spinning centrifuges incorrectly so they would blow apart in a nuke program by the Iranians and it was something we created with with Israel. Right. No, that, I haven't heard of that. That is a level of hacking that is literally historic. Right. Yeah. And yet we brazenly we brazenly go after them for what is likely an embarrassingly puny I, cyber army I, compared I, to Chris, our own. We, we, gotta we be, probably we probably outflank out outflank them in every regard. I, in I, funding, in staffing, in facilities. Well, you got to be careful here, though. We're we're making a lot of assumptions because remember, there's one picture that we're getting here from John Brennan, and he's on CNN and talking friend. with my good buddy and talking about chicken and how to roast it. But we're also not hearing what is really happening behind the scenes. I mean, he's just pu- pushing a picture out there for us to try to eat into. So Without specifics, even. Right, exactly, just generalizing. So I think either it's going to be one of two things. Either there's something really major happening behind the scenes that we don't know about, or they're scared shitless, and we don't know. On policy front, but also very aggressive in the cyber realm. And we know that the, the Russians are, are very active in that uh, area. And there's one hacking entity tonight being tied more closely to the Democratic Committee hack, Guccifer 2.0. Guccifer 2.0 is tied to that hack because they distributed the content. U.S. intelligence and law enforcement officials believe Guccifer 2.0 is a Russian intelligence operation. Now, there's not a single, there is not a single official sighting. And, I, and this, is, this is not an exaggeration. This is an important point to understand. If what they are saying is true, then that is a leak. That is a leak like Julian Assange has been, uh, has been flamed for publishing. That is a leak like uh, Chelsea Manning is in jail for, like Edward Snowden is in exile for, like, like Biney has been run through the ringer for. This is a leak. If you have information from intelligence officials that has not been publicly disclosed, you are publishing leaked information by the United States government. Now, that's, that's its own separate issue. That is just something to keep in mind. Right. Now, the question you have to ask yourself is, why is the United States government unofficially giving the media this information without officially declaring it? What is their motivation there? Ask yourself that. Intelligence and law enforcement officials believe Guccifer 2.0 is a Russian intelligence operation. Alperovitch says those hackers could work right under Putin in Moscow, or he could be keeping them at arm's length. Whether Guccifer is a uh, group of operatives wearing Russian military uniforms that are part of the GRU, or whether they're an outsourced operation, we don't exactly know, but we know that there's some sort of affiliation. How do we know that Guccifer isn't just somebody who lives in the United States of America, or, you know, the thing about an IP network, it could be anywhere in the world. Chris, you see what he has over his right shoulder, right? A super old uh, HP laser jet printer? No, I'm talking about the Mac there. You cannot question this guy. He's got a Mac. It's not a Mac. The iMac. The iMac. Oh, 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 yeah. oh, 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 yeah. Why oh, are you I thought you meant the green I computer mean, behind Why him. are you questioning a guy who's got a pupils that are dilated more than anything else and an iMac? Why are you <laughs> questioning him? He is telling the truth. <laughs> and an HP printer, Chase. Uh, and an iPhone. I guess here's, here's the soapbox I'm, I am sort of assembling over these last few weeks. All right. Is I'm coming to the realization that this fear-mongering is a total disservice to the U.S. public because it it doesn't teach them what to actually protect themselves from no. versus what are – so you're right. They're being told make-believe threats 
by nation states that nobody could reasonably defend against. Nobody can defend against a nation state attack. Not Sony, not not Yahoo. It's a nation state. They have unbelievable resources. That's the meme. Right. In reality, the actual threat is the individual hacker who has access to easy-to-use tools, yeah. who can do website scans, SQL dumps, who can get into this stuff, who can dump this kind of stuff and publish it with basic, free, easy-to-use tools, and also who is very capable of stealing identities from voter databases. Well, People like this are the real threat that the U.S. public faces, and instead of us talking about that, who's likely the people that hacked all this stuff, right. we make believe this huge Russian boogeyman that totally misinforms the public to what the actual threat is so they can't protect themselves. Well, what they're doing here, Chris, is they're just honestly justifying their huge budgets. Remember, show me the money, the the, the huge budgets of their cyber intelligence budgets to bring in these experts, to bring in this money, and just to keep it going. And they have to keep perpetuating this meme uh, to... Make people afraid to go, man, you know, we need to be putting more money into this so we're more secure. It's it's just a big circle jerk of money and contracts. Putin has denied all of it. I don't know anything about it. And on a state level, Russia has never done this. Something else Putin's government is denying tonight, the 2014 downing of Malaysian Airlines Flight 17 over Ukraine, killing nearly 300 people. All right, so... Now that they've deviated off the cyber topic, let's pause there and continue on. All right. Now, the next one is uh, – one story we've been following now for weeks is the fear around the elections in the U.S. getting hacked or influenced by the Russians. Tonight, FBI Director James Comey – When? When was it? When? Tonight. And, and what does the lower third say? Breaking news. This is CNN Breaking News. Tonight, FBI Director James Comey is revealing investigators have discovered more attempts to breach voter registration sites beyond the previously known hacks in Arizona and Illinois. There have been a variety of scanning activities, which is a, a preamble for potential intrusion activities. Wait, wait, yeah, wait. Yeah, he did. Wait. Yeah, he's, he's claiming that drive-by scanning on the Internet is a preamble to a nation-state attack. Yeah, he's about to, he's about to do that. Now, anybody, uh, who, anybody who's been around when the transition from dial-up to broadband came around, do you remember that? Do you remember how you went from oh, yeah. dial-up, like yeah. you never thought about, you never had this problem. But as soon as you went to broadband, yeah. you discovered that every, there was constantly everybody scanning everybody. Oh, yeah. It's just your- I remember my very first cable modem and, you know, sorry, I had a Windows box and I could, <laughs> and I could go into my network neighborhood and I could see all yeah. the computers oh, yes. on my node. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And you know what? Technically- uh, that net buoy discovery or whatever protocol it was there, yeah. uh, whatever discovery process was happening there would technically be considered a scan. That's right. Yeah. So th- Your it, machine it, does it all the time. There have been a variety of scanning activities, which is a, a preamble for potential intrusion activities, as well as some attempted intrusions at voter registration databases beyond those we knew about in July and August. So picture websites that are using standard CMSs that are well-known and a few versions behind on their releases, and somebody comes along and tries to log in with the standard admin username and password. Yeah. And they fail to log in. Eh. 
That's the level of hack attempts we are literally talking about right here. That's what he's saying. He's not even lying. He, but they see, the problem is this is so over their head. The committee has no idea what he's talking about. It sounds threatening. Well, yeah, he makes it sound scary and also makes it sound scary for anybody who could be watching or a news organization yeah. to take a clip yeah. and strike some fear into people. Yeah. Yep. At voter registration databases beyond those we knew about in July and August, we are urging the states just to make sure that their deadbolts are thrown and their locks are on. The revelation comes as investigators are confident Russia is behind several recent cyber attacks to influence the U.S. election. So now we've gone to confident. We've gone to confident. Now we've still not had, in fact, Jeh and others have recently refused to publicly pin it on the Russians, but now right. we're confident. CNN has learned U.S. investigators now believe Guccifer 2.0 is a Russian intelligence operation disguised as a group of rogue hackers which targeted the Democratic National Committee. Now that has been implied. They've been trying to imply this for months. And still we have had no hard evidence. And there's still no cite. No. You know what's crazy about this is this show is able to cite references in our show notes. And we're a podcast. Why can't <laughs> They, they publish because, articles. Because they don't have to. Tax to influence the U.S. elections. CNN has learned U.S. investigators now believe Guccifer 2.0 is a Russian intelligence operation disguised as a group of rogue hackers which targeted the Democratic National Committee. Obviously, as you know, we are doing an awful lot of work through our counterintelligence investigators to understand. Golly, guys, we're working so hard. Just what mischief. Oh, man. These hooligans in their basements. <laughs> Uh, is Russia up to in connection with our election? CIA uh, Director John Brennan uh, tells CNN's Aaron Burnett U.S. officials fear more hacked information will be leaked to influence the election. Yet they don't actually play audio of him saying that. If there are actors or countries that have particular objectives. So if there's randomly somebody out there. That He's generalizing. Exactly. Yeah. Either to discredit or to help to burnish the credentials of uh, individual candidates. Burnish the credentials of individual candidates. You, Did you, you hear you mean, anything in there that sounds like Russia influenced the elections? And, and another thing, too, to add, you mean to release truthful, possibly truthful information about right. candidates? So let's actually, yeah. you know what? This is something probably the audience is thinking of, so I'm glad you stopped right there. And let's just let's just address this. What is it they're talking about? They're talking about the DNC leaked emails. Yeah. The emails which proved that the Democrats, the Democratic National Committee was stacked against Sanders. I mean, I will say this. Yeah. Five people yeah. got laid off. I mean, I will say this. Yeah. You know, yeah. Hacking and, and, and doing those things. Yeah. Illegal. Totally. Understood. You shouldn't be do, going into other companies' emails, even though, yes, it's for the greater good. I understand that. I get that. But that being said, they're they're making it seem like oh the hack was so terrible. Well, yeah, it was terrible, but we found out some truthful, legitimate information. And and if we look at who's actually paid, who has suffered for this leak, it's not some Russian hacker. There's been no additional sanctions. No. There's been no statements publicly against the Russian government. It's the DNC staffer who has four shots in his back, who is supposedly the victim of a robbery gone wrong. Right, and this robbery. Had nothing stolen from him. No, so, and yeah. his money was still on. Why is it called a robbery gone wrong? Because nothing was stolen. Then that's not a robbery. It's a murder. So there's no Russians involved here. Right. It seems really simple. Somebody at the DNC 
who was a Bernie Sanders supporter. And if you look at the guy that was murdered, if you looked at his public profiles, he was a Sanders supporter. He was a Sanders supporter. He got whiff of the bullshit that was going on. And he leaked it to Julian Assange at WikiLeaks, and he got murdered because of it. There's no Russians. There's no dnc Guccifer connection. It's all shit. Uh, I am concerned that they are going to use this uh, time to release that information. While U.S. intelligence officials are hesitant to publicly blame Russia, top Democratic leaders on Capitol Hill are issuing a stern warning, saying in this statement, we believe that orders for the Russian intelligence agencies to conduct such actions could come only from very senior levels of the Russian government. We call on President Putin to immediately order a halt to this activity. Well, guess what? So if the policy is true, that it is a Russian state-sponsored attack, then that would only come from higher levels. So if if the fake president is true, then I could see how you could come to that assumption. Totally. But they, when they say believe, and then they, we call on, well, if you believe is wrong, then you can call on him all you want. He's going to come out and say, we have nothing to do with this. And you know what? You know what really gets me? What grinds your gears, Chris? You know what? Hey, hey can I, do you mind? Is it okay? No, no, totally. You know what really grinds my gears? There is probably legitimate cyber espionage, economic espionage, cyber intrusion that Russia is doing for competitive reasons, for intellectual property theft, for espionage in general, that they are actually doing. Do you remember years ago, there was a story about this super attractive Russian spy that got caught? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of shit's going on all the time. Real stuff is happening. That's not what they report on. That's not the stuff we're we talking get about. The political out. stuff. Yeah. Real people are out there doing identity theft by stupid people online that click on stupid links that don't go to real sites, and that's happening every single day. And they're not talking about that. They're talking about fake Russian attacks. They don't actually talk about the evil things the Russians actually do, and they don't talk about the actual th- cyber threats that real people actually face. And yeah. it drives me crazy. Yeah. No, I agree. And people are affected by it. You know, they have to take years out of their lives to clear it. And it's here's terrible. Why, here, yes. And here's why it feels extra, extra, extra um, dangerous to mess with this. Because there is the possibility of getting an, a, a, a base level fear in the U.S. public that somebody got involved with the elections via a cyber hack. There is like actually the potential. Well, of- to be fair, Trump tried to throw that narrative out there, I would say a few months ago, saying, you know, if he doesn't win, it's probably rigged. Yeah, but he's talking about a political rigging by the establishment. He's not talking about an outside nation influencing the election. That's true. So it's a it's a it's a way scarier, riskier thing if you were if if the US public were to buy off on That's it. That's true. Now, we've covered this story, this this whole fear, uncertainty and doubt around the outcome of the U.S. elections and the the Department of Homeland Security that's been offering to help protect and help advise people for their election cybersecurity. Because they're so good. Yeah. And I've been wondering why – you remember we've been wondering like, well, why are they doing this? Why are they trying to scare people about the potential outcome of the election? Why are they trying to seed doubt? For the first time ever because I don't remember being scared like this four years ago and four years before that, especially after – 9-11. 9-11. I mean, we weren't scared like this level. I figured it out. You did. And it's not Hillary. It's not the Clinton campaign. It's not Trump. It's Stein. <laughs> no, it's not even. It's not Stein. It's Jeh. It's Jeh. It's Jeh Johnson. 
Jed Johnson, the home of the Department of Homeland Security, uh, he's the guy. Remember, we've talked about him recently. He's the yeah. guy that was the. He was like he he le- he provided the legal framework for the drone program, so that way the executive uh, office yeah. could assassinate people across the world without having to go through the military industrial complex. He's the guy that provided the legal framework for that, and and his attaboy reward was he got promoted to the Department of Homeland Security. Now we so we go back a little bit further. The Department of Homeland Security is a Bush administration creation. After 9-11, it's single-handedly one of the number one jobs programs for the U.S. government totally. in the history of the U.S. government. It's who employs the TSA. It's the folks that bought all those horrible scanners. It's the people that have TSA agents now at your train stations. It is the Department of Homeland Security. And one of the things that they want, and this is on record, one of the things they want is they want to be responsible. They want to be in charge and set the standards for the nation's cyber Security. This is something they've been working towards for oh, years, boy. and and this is well documented. And now Je has come along with the perfect scheme. What do we always say about politicians? And Je, if he's anything, is a politician. What do we always say? They take advantage of a crisis to for their political gain. That's what they're the best at. They're the best. Like that's what makes nine eleven look like such a great conspiracy. All of these things happen after the after the twin towers came down, because politicians are masters at taking advantage of a horrible situation for their own gain. Look at uh, look at Paris right now. Since the bombings and attacks in Paris, they've yeah. been in a state of emer- a perpetual state of emergency. That's right. The United States of America still in a perpetual well, state of I emergency. Mean, General Palpatine, you know, he exercises those <laughs> right. powers. Yes, exactly. And you know, he will release them once it's all over. So, I went play, watch this clip all right. and watch how Je is out there selling the Department of Homeland Security as if they have the solution for all your cyber woes. So the whole the whole scare, I believe, around the elections and somebody influencing it is simply to give the Department of Homeland Security more power, more oversight, and maybe to lock him in when Clinton comes into office. As we look toward the election, <clears throat> we're a little bit worried as we've been hearing reports coming in about cybersecurity as it pertains to voting, the voting population. What do we know? What can you tell us? And what steps are being taken um, to try and counter what could be a catastrophe if it were get out, if it would get out of hand? So that's uh, Chase's good friend. My buddy. Mika um, Brzezinski, who... <laughs> You should Google who her father is. She is interviewing Je and asking the question that's obviously, it was on the tip of your mind, right? Oh, yeah, it was right there. A couple of things. First, there's an open investigation about the exact source of the hacks of the DNC, Mm -hmm. uh, General Powell's emails and and others. We are seeing also... It's an open investigation, Chase. And it's important to make this distinction. We're seeing also efforts at hacks into the systems of state and local election officials. So they're seeing efforts. Mm. Efforts. Efforts. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they're one of two of those have been successful yeah. into the online presence of state and local election officials. Exactly wow. who did it is also still under investigation. Oh, not the Russians? So in the face of that, I've been out there publicly engaging with state and local election officials, encouraging them to come to us for our cybersecurity expertise to help secure their own systems. I'm pleased that yesterday 
uh, the speaker, Paul Ryan. So the Department of Homeland Security, which has such a record for their expertise in cybersecurity. Oh, and security in general, really. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, they've been encouraging people to come to them. So what they're doing, what are they doing here? They're selling themselves. And I guess uh, what you got to understand in order for you to fully get where I'm coming from is there is an interagency conflict right now on who should be responsible for internal cybersecurity, internal national cybersecurity. Who is responsible for that? Which of the military industrial complexes and all of our – is it the State Department? Is it the Department of Homeland Security? Should it be some department at the Pentagon? Is it the CIA? Who? Is it the NSA? Is Who's responsible right. for our national cybersecurity? Well, guess what? The Department of Homeland Security wants it to be them. That's what this is all about. There's that, When I say it's well documented, what I'm referring to is this conflict, on, and, and it's it, it comes out the most during budget times where they really fight for more money in cybersecurity. And whoever wins this battle will get the most funding for cybersecurity investments. So that's what this is about. Well, election officials encouraging them to come to us for our cybersecurity expertise to help secure what their own joke. systems. I'm pleased that yesterday... Uh, the Speaker, Paul Ryan, Leader Pelosi, Senators Reed McConnell issued a letter to state officials encouraging them to come to us for help in this area. Now, why is he pleased by that? Because he, it ensures his job security. Exactly. Yeah. He just got a huge endorsement by some uh, mucky mucks that say, go to this guy, go to this department. That's why he's pleased, because this is what he's been working towards. This is his true political goal, actually, not though, our security. Actually, though, you're going to see a lot of states that are going to push back, obviously, because they, you know... That's one thing that the states have is, you know, they can organize and run their own voting Absolutely. systems. And, you know, they're going to they already see how great the TSA has been, especially in certain airports across the country. They're not going to go into this. And this is the beauty of what Jet is doing, man. It doesn't need to be all of them. It doesn't need to be half of them. It just needs to be about 20, 30 percent. But here's another thing, another angle to think about, though, is. One thing that makes our system what it is, is the states have their independence in this regard, right? You know, they, they have their way of running their own thing. Is this just the tip, a precursor frog in the hot water of federalizing the election system? I think that's a red herring. I don't think so. That's where the route I was, that was the road, the path I, I was, was going thinking, down. I mean, is this just, just trying to tip nope. the foot See, in the water? This is just simply a politician taking advantage of fear that's being spun right. by the Clinton campaign into the media to leverage we'll keep an eye on future that. funding yeah. for his department. That's what I think. Okay. Uh, the Speaker, Paul Ryan, Leader Pelosi, Senators Reed McConnell issued a letter to state officials encouraging them to come to us for help in this area. We have to be concerned about the increasing sophistication of cyber actors, uh, whether they're nation states, criminal actors, hacktivists, and uh, do our utmost to protect the election systems. Wait, the fact that one of them has already been successful, though. Are so if you want to see... Uh, he wants that, to protect the election systems, that is the state's responsibility, if not you wanna, his. If you want to see that guy look like an elite jet, uh, we'll go watch the rest of the cyber threats raise questions about elect electoral integrity clip in the supporter sink. Oh, man. Jeez. Oh, it is really something. <laughs> but we got to move on to breaking news today. More breaking right, so news Melissa, tonight. Melissa, what we have is a Reuters story uh, citing sources saying that Yahoo, back last year in 2015, built a custom-made software program that allowed it to scan user account emails and whatnot for the U.S. government. What? Wait. How can Yahoo be made to make a program? Remember, they did fight it and then lost, and then they just sort of caved after that. Yeah, but... 
how can you compel a company to create a program on on behalf of the government? Remember, Apple fought that with making a tool for their iPhones, and they were successful to. That is what he said, isn't it? Yeah. He, say, okay. he said Yahoo to make Yahoo do it. 2015 built a custom-made software program that allowed it to scan user account emails and whatnot for the U.S. government. Yes, yeah, the they story made the goes program on say- for the U.S. government. Yeah, you're right that they built this secret custom software program to search all customers' incoming emails oh. for specific info provided by U.S. intelligence officials. That, according to people familiar with the matter, the company, it says, complied with a classified U.S. government directive. A classified U.S. government directive. Do you suppose that Yahoo is the only company that received this? No. Scanning all of these emails accounts, hundreds of millions here at times for the National Security Agency or FBI. And this is according to two former employees and a third person with knowledge of the matter. So an interesting development here with regard to Yahoo. We know about its pending acquisition by Verizon and its AOL unit. All of this coming against uh, hacking the broadest, biggest hacking ever of those email accounts there and whatnot at Yahoo. So, again, an interesting story coming out of Reuters for those particular shares. They're a little changed right now. Yeah, that is a massive story. You know, Chris, I'm not worried because I don't have anything to hide. (laughs) I think it implies, too, that uh, there's probably a lot of other companies involved in this. And I wonder if anybody will actually have the nuts to step up and say, yeah, us too. Wow. No, they can't because they're under an order. And the only reason why this came to light was because because of of two employees. Yeah. Whistleblowing. Yeah. And, of course, they're probably getting laid off. There's a purchase going on. Oh, wait You think this will affect the Verizon purchase? Oh, yeah, totally. Well, maybe not because Verizon was always involved with it too. Yeah, and they may have they may have already disclosed this behind the scenes. That's true. Are there any danger for these two guys' lives? I wonder who they leaked it to. I'll have to dig more into the story. Yeah, I'll keep I'll keep finding out. Yeah, because uh, yeah, sometimes when you look into who did the leaking, then yeah, that leads to a lot more stuff. Yeah, totally. Um, I want to talk about let's let's shift gears from cyber the cyber. All right, to uh, the terrorism. The war on terror. Yeah, specifically our efforts in Syria. And instead of us telling you how it's going, here's words from uh, Secretary Kerry. Meanwhile, uh, there appears to be dissent in the White House over the handling of the crisis in Syria. In an audio recording obtained by CNN, U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry told a group at the United Nations that he wanted a more forceful intervention against the Assad regime. Four people in the administration who have all argued for your support, and I've lost the other. I've argued for your support. I've argued for the use of force. He is sad that they're not using force. I, I wish we could shoot people. I stood up. I'm the guy who stood up and announced we're going to attack Assad because of the weapons. Kerry also criticized Congress for not authorizing a vote to strike more heavily against Assad's forces. So uh, Kerry, so I think this audio has been leaked because there's a narrative going around now that the efforts in Syria have have failed. The the talk, the peace talks have ended. Now the only option is force. The U.S. is threatening to end cooperation with Moscow on Syria unless quote Russian and Syrian attacks on Aleppo stop. The U.S. State Department also says it's looking at non diplomatic options for responding to the situation in the war torn country. On top of that, it warns that Russia will continue to see its troops return home in body bags. Extremist groups will continue to exploit uh, the the vacuums that are there in Syria to expand their operations, um, which will include, no no question, uh, attacks against 
uh, Russian interests, perhaps even Russian cities. Um, and uh, Russia will continue to send troops home uh, in body bags. Here at the State Department, uh, the Secretary is still committed to a, a diplomatic solution. Uh, there are other options uh, that don't revolve around the act of diplomacy. Well, U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry said Russia was responsible for the worsening situation in Syria after the ceasefire deal brokered by Moscow and Washington failed. RT's Gaine Chichikan approached the State Department for further comment. The Washington position is to blame Russia for everything that's going wrong in Syria, while admitting what happened in the days that followed the ceasefire deal. The rebels were reported to have carried out hundreds of ceasefire violations, while the Syrian army actually stopped the strikes. This was during the first few days of the ceasefire, which began on September 12th. Syria's second largest rebel group, Bahra al-Sham, said right away that they were not going to abide by the deal. On September 17th, the U.S. bombed the Syrian military, admittedly by mistake. Now, we've covered if you if you've been listening to the show for a few weeks, we've covered the timeline of all this as it happened because right. it's just the event, the order of events. Yeah, it was just happening as it was happening. And then a humanitarian convoy was hit, which the U.S. blamed on Russia, and Russia vehemently denied. Having- and there is some really, really, really compelling evidence to suggest that it might have been either well. I, uh, I don't want to get into the bacon right now. Let's keep going. Right away that they were not going to abide by the deal. On September 17th, the U.S. bombed the Syrian military, admittedly by mistake. And then a humanitarian convoy was hit, which the U.S. blamed on Russia, and Russia vehemently denied having done that. With that, my question at the State Department. Looking at the events that followed the ceasefire, how is it fair to say that Russia is solely responsible for the failure of this deal? Because, and we've said this many, many times, uh, they... They have influence on Assad. I didn't make that up. Are you saying that you don't have influence with the rebels? Oh! Man, that is such a great, great response because that's exactly what the problem was. And we talked about it at the time. We said, geez, it looks like simply that we said stop fighting and the people that take our orders and take our money and take our guns and take our communications and our Toyotas don't stop when we tell them to stop. And they just kept fighting, and that ruined everything. And that was, she was so ready for that question. Because, and we've said this many, many times. Uh, many, they, many times. They many. have influence on Assad. I didn't make that up. Are you saying that you don't have influence with the rebels? <laughs> we do. And so do some of our uh, allies and partners as well. And if the U.S. does have influence with these rebel groups, why the hundreds of ceasefire violations? So do our, so our, some, so do some of our allies as well. As in, you know what he's couching right there? He's couching. We don't have ultimate control over them. We have some influence, and then of course, so does Turkey and Israel and others. Because and we've Saudi said Arabia. this many, many times. Uh, they they have influence on Assad. I didn't make that up. Are you saying that you don't have influence with the rebels? We do. And so do some of our uh, allies and partners. It's not all our fault. It's not all our fault. Hey, we, if they're going to shoot, you know, what are we going to do? If, if Turkey tells them to shoot or if Turkey gives them more guns, uh, look, uh, uh, there's only so much. We can... uh, yeah, I know we, we started a ball rolling here, but look. As well. And if the U.S. does have influence with these rebel groups, why the hundreds of ceasefire violations? A perfectly reasonable question. It's not about Good follow up. This is not about her being a Russian uh, Today correspondent. That is a reasonable question. If the U.S. has influences over the mercenaries that you're hiring, why are they still either directly or indirectly? Yeah. Why aren't they following your orders? 
What? Why? Why did that happen? We we have influence over some, not all. We have uh, there are oh. there are just rebel Chris, groups. There. Chris, it's the other groups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not the, the other ones one. that we right. have control. Right. It's the just other some. ones. Yeah, but you know, it kind of depends on the day. Okay, you gotta, they got they have to check their like horoscope. so like they'll stop for us on Sundays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. Yeah. But yeah, you know, the State I Department understand. just keeps updating the Google Calendar. Fair enough. Why did that happen? We we have influence over some, not all. We have uh, there the are there are just rebel groups. There refuse to abide by that. There are deal. other nations that have influence, and again, we have uh, we have not our admitted fault. that not all the opposition groups on every single day uh, completely uh, abided by it. Uh, look, our policies uh, have look. directly created a monster. And uh, we have admitted that, and uh, we don't have control over them. And in fact, some of our allies have steamrolled us <laughs> and ended up supporting them directly because they just work for the highest bidder. Uh, we've admitted that, kind of, sort of. Can you admit that part of the responsibility for the failure of this deal lies with the rebels and with the U.S.? I think we've been nothing but honest uh, about the fact that there have been violations uh, of the ceasefire and the cessation of hostilities on all sides. While oh, yeah. essentially admitting that the U.S. had not delivered on its responsibilities under this deal, the U.S. now threatens to cut ties with Moscow. Washington says that way it wants to stop Russia's bombing of civilians in Aleppo. And this prompted some of my questions on whether the U.S. is consistent in that regard when it comes to dealing with other countries. The U.S. has expressed grave concern over what Saudi Arabia is doing. In- Do you see that look? You see that uh, look he gave her? Like, why are you talking look? I'm going to get you killed. The U.S. is consistent in that regard when it comes to dealing with other countries. The U.S. has expressed you grave that? concern yeah. over what Saudi Arabia is doing in Yemen by hitting civilian targets there. Why isn't the U.S. cutting, threatening to cut ties with Saudi Arabia? We have uh, The secretary talked about this when we were in Jeddah a few, a few weeks ago. We have been honest with the Saudis about our concerns over... Uh, over uh, uh, the lack of precision in some strikes, um, and uh, and uh, we <laughs> talked to them about oh, the importance of conducting investigations. But Saudi Arabia is doing there what Russia is accused of doing in Syria. So I'm no, no. How is that consistent? <laughs> because what we're seeing the Russians do, and I would love to see you ask your government some of these questions. You know, Russia today never does that. You never poke and prod oh, your own you government. Go this is not the first time John Kirby He's flipping it. He's yeah. flipping it. Yeah, he's deferring. He's deferring. Yeah, you can watch the rest of the clip. Of the oh. Yeah, it is, it's painful to watch. And uh, now there has been a lot of talk of the diplo- – the di- no more diplomacy. It's right. now a military it's option. Over. we got to hit them. All of this talk, plan B, plan B. And uh, – it seems like the Russians aren't waiting around to respond. But the U.S. is spending talks with Russia over a new ceasefire in Syria, a development that is also interesting because of the timing. Nearly a year ago to the day. Isn't that interesting, by the way? A year ago, so how many however many episodes ago that was, whatever number that was. A year ago, we were talking about the Russians getting into the Syria fight, which is right. that boggles my mind. Russia began its bombing campaign in Syria to bolster the Assad regime. Days after that campaign started, President Obama famously said this. An attempt by Russia and Iran to prop up Assad. And- October 2nd, 2015. And try to pacify the population is just going to get them stuck in a quagmire. Uh, and it won't work. Well, now negotiations to restart a ceasefire as well as any coordination with Russia and Syria has com- come to a complete and total halt. The State Department says this. 
It is a, a grim anniversary uh, since uh, one year since the, they began uh, 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 supporting uh, the Assad regime in earnest with airstrikes. It is hard not to assess that they have succeeded in bolstering uh, the bolstering. regime. All this comes as Russia is moving more weapons into Syria. Let's talk about it all with Peter Doran, <laughs> Vice President of Research at the Center for European Policy Analysis. He's an ex- expert. Now, I want to, before we go into this guy's expert analysis <laughs> yeah. on Fox yeah. News, yeah. Uh, I want to mention that there has been recently um, military drills between the U.S., NATO, and our allies, and the drills are specifically about nuking Russia. So th- that is the background in which... You should probably take this report. I don't. Uh, it, I think this is clearly Russia trying to muscle up, and uh, and there is there is there is a significant factor here. This is the first time Russia's done something like this outside their own borders. So there is some there is some historical context to this, and it definitely seems like they're sending a message to the U.S. because it's about taking down aeroplane aeroplanes, and the only co- the only country flying aeroplanes in Syria that isn't the Assad regime or Russia. <laughs> is the United States of America. On Russia and Ukraine. I want to focus, Peter, on some of the breaking news about what Russia is doing as far as moving weapons into Syria. Plainly speaking, they're moving a anti-missile system into Syria for the very first time. It's the first time they've deployed this anti-missile system outside their own border. Why are they doing that? Well, this clearly represents a significant escalation uh, of the fighting in Syria. Uh, By deploying this particular system uh, to Syria, uh, Russia is attempting to establish a military bubble in Syria, a bubble that will make it very difficult for the United States to project air power into the region. Uh, It shows that Russia is anticipating the next step in a possible U.S. military response. That's what it's about. Yeah, that's what it's about. Is they're getting we're, ahead. While we're talking about this, the U.S. military is already planning for the next step phase, and so is Russia. We're right. to, while we're while we're discovering, we're, yeah, we're, it, yeah, we're getting lip service, but yeah, behind the scenes, they're, they're, they're ramping moves. up. Right? Mm-hmm. So uh, let's uh, let's do a little bit deep dive here. I thought this was pretty good. On uh, you know, whenever whenever your good buddy, my friend Matt Lee, has a few questions to poke oh, the State Department. Matt, I just, I, Matt's got the best questions, and he calls out the State Department for Matt not the AP. Yeah, over at the AP, for not following through on some policies. You say that your position is clear, but I thought your position was clear two days ago that you were going to suspend this dialogue. And now this has been a point of contention because even today, as we record, Kerry's like, well, we're – we're still going to try peaceful options. It's almost like they have to say that. Right. So it's they're sending this really mixed message. Have they cut off all diplomatic options and are going the military route? Or are they going to continue trying to figure out a peace route? And because they don't want to come across as warmongers, they have to give lip service to it. Yep. And so it ends up with this mixed message and the State Department has really no way to handle this question. You say that you, your position is clear, but... I thought your position was clear two days ago that you were going to suspend this dialogue unless immediate action was taken. And it's now been 48 hours and there hasn't been any action. So I guess I I don't know how you can say your position is clear because it seems to be unclear, not and not just to me, but presumably also to the to the Russians. So you, you, you made this threat. They didn't do what you wanted them to do. And now you're not following through on it. Well, um, and I certainly don't want to get into uh, or uh, divulge uh, 
the content of our diplomatic discussions, but these are conversations on the phone. Okay. And so I, I can't say right. what the Russians may be offering to do or steps they may take or not take. Again, we're just not there. We're, are, uh, are you suggesting, are you saying that, not suggesting, are yeah. you saying that there is some sign, some indication from Russia that hope is not lost, that, that, that they're willing to do something tangible in response to this ultimatum that was seems to be a non-ultimatum that was delivered. <laughs> well, um, again, I, does this remind you remember when Obama had the red line? Yeah. And then the red line was kind of a bullshit thing because they couldn't they couldn't nail it down that to the that the Assad regime actually used chemical weapons. So then after the red line had been supposedly crossed, they couldn't take action because they didn't have concrete proof for military action. <laughs> so that red line got totally ignored and and now here we are again with another line that the that the uh, Obama administration has drawn. Ultimatum. We are apparently not exactly following. Just like we were supposedly going to jump out of the attack with Iran a dozen times but never jumped out. And so there's a credibility issue here that Matt's getting to, and that's why it really bothers him. I, I, I'll leave it more or less what I just said, which is that we continue to have conversations with Russia um, with uh, between Secretary uh, Kerry and, and Foreign Minister Lavrov, and they have that in, insofar as we've not uh, reached the point where we believe there's no uh, reason to continue. I, I, where, where have we... <laughs> When has the administration actually carried out a threat to walk away? Carried out a, a, a well, threat? Well, I mean, it came. Yeah, a, you sorry. didn't walk. You, the U.S. didn't walk out of the Iran nuclear talks. We didn't, but we came close at several occasions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not listening. You're not listening to yeah. his question. It's like he just did. Come on, Kirby. Kirby, you're a good friend. No, of mine. this is not Kirby. This oh, is I mean, uh, uh, this is a different guy. I can't remember. There's there's two state. This is the this is the backup spokesman. Yeah. Well, backup spokesman. We're good friends. I mean, so much. Long that, time buddy. Long time buddies. You Matt, remember, Matt yeah. asked you a direct question, okay? And when you repeat that question back to Matt, you're just delaying the inevitable. <laughs> Talks. We didn't, but we came close at several occasions, as yeah, you but, know. But, but, but you didn't do it, and. Um, <laughs> And and you could argue, or I'm sure you, as you probably do, that <clears throat> you got what you say is a successful deal out of it by not walking away. But in terms of Syria, the administration has twice said that it would do things. You hear him say, "Yeah, such and such happened or didn't happen." And now, uh, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Sure. And it, we don't need to say the red line, but you know, I'm talking about the red line. That's what that was right there. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know. What yeah, you're you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about? Sure. And sure. Uh, yeah. And, and, and you didn't follow through. So I guess why do you? Why, why should the why should the Russians or anyone else, for that matter, take take it seriously? Well, again, I you know I can't speak to whether they do or do don't take us seriously, but they should. Um, oh, you know, they because, should because uh, we're mean. Uh, we are reaching. We're tough. Uh, that point. We're reaching that point. Well, what is that point? What is that point? I don't know what that point is, but I, I feel like the direction in Syria is going real bad. It's going real bad, Chase. Real bad. Uh, so I uh, I have additional clips on the uh, the first family suing over the twenty eight pages and then the uh, the uh, override of Obama's veto, all that the Saudi Arabia stuff. We have additional clips about that in the show notes. But I want to take a, a pause right here, and uh, I want to just shout out to Matt Lee and even Gyna for for whatever reason she does what she does. They both dig up great information, and uh, it gives me hope because. They're still able to go there and ask questions. 
you know, there's groups like Judicial Watch that are continuing to be able to get documents out. File re- freedom of information requests do tend to get answered at least to some degree. Like there's still ways to get information. And the, the fundamental issue isn't that we don't have access to it. The fundamental issue is we don't have a good way to disseminate it because the mainstream media is completely broken. And I think one of the things that, that we're going to get into the election here in a moment, one of the things I think we'll take away, whoever wins the presidency, for those of us that believe that the media is absolutely bankrupt and has failed at their job, and this I think is probably the opinion of the majority of our listeners – This election has exposed it to the majority of the public. The mainstream media's trust has plummeted to levels that are historically low. But what I think all of us can take away is the media is openly demonstrating how they're in the bag for different interest groups. And it's plainly visible to anybody, especially to Sanders, uh, Johnson, Stein and Trump supporters. It's blatantly clear to them how the media works. And if regardless of who gets into office, this total erosion of trust in the mainstream media will be the thing that we all take away as a victory. Yep. Whoever the candidate is, this is what we all get. And because guys like Matt and Gina and ourselves are digging at this stuff constantly, there are new ways to disseminate this information. And so it's with, with that context that I say... Thank you to the supporters over at patreon.com slash unfiltered. We got a huge showing huge. This, this week. And you know, I'll, be, I'll be rolling out the names and thanking them in the overtime segment, which is coming up. I, I got to say that, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was like two or three weeks ago, and I made a mention on the show that, I, and we were, I think, at 480 something at the time. And I said, you know, it'd be great to get over 500. And if we can make it over 500, I like to do X. And I don't remember what that X is. <laughs> so if someone can remind me. <laughs> Please let me know. That's but, hilarious. But buddy. I got to say this, you know, to OMG, be at, OMG, OMG. To, to see that that number of patrons grow. And, and we know last week, you know, we put out the big call and we're going to be doing a five dollar uh, you know, mailbag segment here in the future. I want to open it up for, for a yeah. lot of the new people. Yeah. But for me to see that number, it's more than the dollar amount. It's the number of people who believe yep. in us. And yep. when, when I see that number 502 to go up from week over week. That makes me feel great. Yeah, and it really gives me like the there was a there was a bunch of stuff, a bunch of clips. I think I already talked about it that I didn't want to get into this week. And when I thought about you know you and I started chatting about man, we've got a lot of great support this week. It's like a this motivating boost of energy when I'm kind of tired. I've been doing a lot of work. I got a lot of stuff. I'm still going on. I just got over a, a massive sickness over the weekend, uh. and you see that number, and it's it genuinely motivates you because it, it makes you. And it really gives you sort of a value for value where people realize they've gotten something. You people have gotten something out of all the hard work you've done. Right. And I think the mainstream media has has maybe done us the biggest favor of all because they've they have they are so patently bad, especially as the election gets close. It's really gone to shit. And so people, I think, are looking for better alternatives of information. Right. And what's great about our method is you know that our priority is five hundred and two patrons over yep, at you guys patreon.com slash unfilter. Yep. Not not the pharma advertiser, not access to the Clinton campaign, none of that. It is our patrons. And so I think that's the biggest piece of mind when you take and, away from the show. And honestly, our, our bias isn't for one person or the other. I, I think, and I, I hate speaking for other people, but our bias really is just 
to show it for what it is and let you guys decide. We, of course, are going to inject our opinions about it, but we try honestly to be as neutral as we can because we see it from both sides. We see it from both angles. Patreon.com slash unfilter. If you would like to be a part of the small minority that makes this show possible, that reaches tens of thousands of people and is creating a people's documentary of this crazy time. And also stay tuned as Libre Vault begins to stabilize. We'll be transitioning to supporter sync. So if you become a new patron and you're wondering, should I jump on board with BitTorrent Sync? It might be worth might be worth waiting to Libre Vault. We'll have more information on that soon. Can you play that coming down the road? For me? This guy right here. Hey everybody! Now, now, this is a uh, you know uh, postman uh, Chase here talking to you guys in Club Thirty Three. Now, if you are in Club Thirty Three, you can send me a message directly to my sack, and it'll be read right on the air. Now, it could be a comment about the election. It could be what's going on in Russia and Syria, the cyber, anything you guys want to talk about. It could be maybe a, a business venture that you want to plug on this show because a lot of people listen. We love you guys on Club 33, so I want to hear from you. Every single week, an unfiltered post goes up on the Patreon just for you guys, and all you have to do to be a part of that segment is reply to that post. I haven't had any mails the past couple weeks, so hopefully they're not being forwarded somewhere else. Huh, mail joke. Anyway, make sure you send your messages in. Thank you again for all you guys who support us at Club 33 and everybody on Patreon.com slash unfiltered. That's how we go. That's how we roll. Very nice. And uh, I want to get into the WikiLeaks stuff today. I just had to take a leak. Yeah. This WikiLeaks stuff, you and I have been chatting about it for days. (laughs) So it was. We were ready. I was like, Chris, we're going to get some content for the show. Oh, yeah, man. Actually, we've been talking about it now for a solid 30 days. Because Julian has gone even on Fox News with and been plugging this huge release that was coming out. Yeah, yeah. I guess he leaked it to Roger Ailes, too, and Roger Ailes went on Twitter, went on Alex Jones, went on uh, YouTube and said that I've spoken to people familiar with the matter, and there's going to be something that's going to wreck Hillary on Tuesday. It's going to end her campaign. She's going to drop out. These were all kind of the headlines. So So what do we got, Chris? You ready? Let's see it. You uh, want the big release? I'm ready to be released. You ready for the big reveal? All right, do it. We're getting word that Julian Assange, the WikiLeaks guy, that he has another October surprise. <laughs> and it's going to go down tomorrow. He was originally going to come out with some information on Hillary Clinton out on a balcony. And he's canceled that because of some some security concerns. Oh, yeah. That's oh, that's why I put this. I wanted to remind us too. remember. Right. Do you remember this part? I do. Yes. it was. It was uh, the reveal is so big. It's so big that he had to change locations because he was worried that he would get sniped. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah, okay, all right, fine, here we go. Or drone bombed. You know, we always talk about an October surprise, something that could change the course of an election that happens in the weeks prior to it. Uh, so maybe in the works, perhaps, WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange today promising that he's going to publish more documents about the race oh. for the White House pretty much every week through Election Day. Senior Foreign Affairs correspondent Greg Palcott joining us now live in London. So they all laugh and mock Julian. Uh, this was a total frickin' letdown. And waste of time. This was so bad. Uh, I don't... Uh, do you remember the last time we... I gotta find Alex... I'm gonna look it up right now. Alex Jones' YouTube channel. When's the last time we played Alex Jones on this show? Uh, you know what's driving me crazy is that photo right there. Look in. <laughs> when was Zoom in on that time? photo. When was it, You right? look like an ass-crawling freak. I, 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 don't, I don't ever play uh, unless we're kind of mocking him sometimes because honestly I feel like Alex Jones makes people who question stuff uh, look like lunatics. Fair enough. So uh, I, don't, I don't generally like to play his clips here, but I, he had uh. something here. 
that I thought we should play because it almost it almost was the ultimate troll because Alex Jones went all in on Julian Assange. Oh yeah, he got up at like three in the morning. He did a live stream over. His he was website. ready to rock. Yeah, and it didn't. Uh, difficult. Um, why? It did. He he did not deliver. Uh, and uh, and Alex Jones uh, was hilarious he in was, his response. He was livid. See, so here we go. Find, um, see if I can find um, it because I didn't clip this. Yeah. I mean, I'm just watching the broadcast and reaction, uh, reacting to it. Silent. See, Alex Jones. Silent, like, silent. Uh, if necessary, um, of course. Julian uh, Assange has done some good work. I'm not going to take that away from him. Yeah, he has done some good work. It was, it was sort of, it sort of was awful because what happened was, is Julian Assange set up this live stream, and I watched it. I watched it for over two hours, and it was slow, and the audio production was bad, and people were late. To the presentation. They didn't even show up to the presentation on time. I mean, it was pathetic all around. And then, and then, yeah. he even mocked people for expecting that he would release something at 3 a.m. He <laughs> mocked people. You know what's driving me crazy? That Julian Assange right there. Zoom in on that photo. Yeah, I, I didn't clip it. I didn't want uh, to clip it. Right. But it was it, Alex Jones's uh, response to Julian Assange. I don't know if anybody in the chat room has it, but, uh, uh, it, oh, maybe the, here, let's, let's try this one because it was so funny. It was so good. You have really done it, buddy boy. Well, we're I you mean, better release it all within twelve hours, or you're done. <laughs> and now he's saying he'll release it before the end of the year. So that smacks of a sellout. They're claiming they're going to release documents every few days until the election. But I know they tweeted out and said damning evidence, decisive information. Uh, that Hillary Clinton was done. I mean, this is what they were saying. It's what they said through intermediaries, what they said to our sources. It's actually true. It is what they said. They yeah, implied they, that they, a lot. They, they did. Yeah, and now, because they didn't deliver on anything, and they, he, he himself, he pimped it on CNN and Fox, because he didn't deliver anything, the press can use it as an excuse to delegitimize him, to mock him, yep. and to claim that what he's going to be playing won't be wrong. It's not going to matter. Yeah. Big salute to their anniversary of hacking into government documents illegally. Yeah, I mean, this is the same guy that released, what was it, 20,000 emails saying that the DNC was conspiring yep. to make sure that Bernie Sanders didn't win. It led to the resignation of Debbie Wasserman Schultz right before the DNC. So folks in the media were expecting something like that this sure. morning. That's not at all what we got. He did say if he finds anything that's pertinent to the election, he will release it before the election. But other than that, all of this he says he's going to release before the end of the year. I mean, what do you think happened? Do you think it was just a scam or maybe conspiracy? And we have no proof of this whatsoever. He got a phone call. He got a knock. He's like, they're like, listen, Julian, you do not release that stuff. The only way that's possible is if there was some sort of deal that if Hillary gets into office, something happens and he doesn't go to jail. That's the only concession and I can, he can leave the embassy. It totally. I think this totally throws his credibility into question because he's right. been promoting this for a while. Yeah, maybe he's to maybe and, maybe at the last second he was offered a deal. And the most low class part of it was, yeah, is it was an hour buildup of WikiLeaks taking credit for what Chelsea Manning has done, for what Edward Snowden has uh, done, for what all of the actual heroes that risked their lives have done. It was it was an hour plus of them taking credit for all of this stuff when simply they've been the publishing platform, right? I don't want to diminish what they've done, but they aren't the actual people on the ground doing the work. That's true. They have a help. They've done a lot of good work to enable those people. Yeah. So for, it was it was sort of it was an hour of self-serving ten years of WikiLeaks, 
And then Julian gets on there and plugs a book. His audio is literally barely understandable. And then he mocks people for expecting him to do any news at 3 a.m. Wow. It was pretty pathetic. So I feel like it was a jump the shark moment. Oh, Julian Assange. Yeah. And now, of course, we'll be watching. So if anything he does release over the next few weeks of, is of interest, we'll, we'll cover it. Totally. But it, it, the issue is, is when he, when he does stuff like this, it delegitimizes the name and the brand of WikiLeaks. Oh, absolutely. And it allows does. the media to mock him. And it allows them to say, well, look, he's claimed he was going to destroy Hillary Clinton in the past and he never delivered. It allows them to use that kind well, of word. Like I said, maybe, you know, he was offered a deal or something where he has to bite the discrediting bullet so it saves his life and he can get out of the embassy. It really feels like his ego is bigger than his work. And it's so yeah. frustrating because he's he's playing with fire here. Yeah. And, oh, wow. man. And then with this whole gimmick of having to move locations because he was afraid of security. Yeah. Oh, geez. All right. Well, let's move on because uh, we all love ourselves some leaked audio. And this is going to perk yeah. me up. This will make me feel <laughs> you better. You like leaked audio. And there, everybody's expecting this to cover it. The Clinton leaked audio that came out last week. Of course, this was uh, this one covers my, my favorite clip. That's right. In the audio clip you're about to hear, Clinton is addressing the cynicism that some millennials feel towards the government. It's important to note this was recorded back in February when she was still competing against Senator Bernie Sanders for those young voters in the primary. Couch, 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 couch. Some are new to politics completely. They're children of the Great Recession. Ooh, what do you think of that? Uh, I guess, are my kids children of the Great Recession? I guess so. Yeah, yeah. And uh, are we technically children of the Great Recession? I don't think so, because I had a job in a house before the Great Recession. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't know. But I don't, I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, that's an interesting, it's an interesting way to phrase it. And not necessarily inflammatory, but maybe a little dismissive. Okay. I, I think it could be considered a little dismissive. Uh, later, she also later had- By the other... way, are you surprised that CNN is playing this? No, because it's not, it's not super damaging. Okay. And, it's, and she couched it for, you know, she couched yeah. it pretty well. ...are new to politics completely. They're children of the Great Recession, and they are living in their parents' basement. Uh, they feel that- they got their education, and the jobs that are available to them are not at all what they envisioned for themselves, and they don't see much of a future. I think we all should be really understanding of that, and we should try to do the best we can. This has been see. This is edited together to make her sound in the best light. There's other times where she's like, "Well, they want Scandinavia. That's just impossible." Like, there's other remarks she made that are not included in the CNN coverage. Uh, not to be. You know, a wet blanket on idealism. You want people to be idealistic. You want them to set big goals, but to take what we can achieve now and try to present them as bigger goals. CNN Politics producer Dan America joins me now. Uh, the, the Clinton campaign is just coming out and responding to this, right? What are they saying? Well, they say that it's awful. This is this shouldn't have been leaked, but it's not that damning. However, of course, the natural thing to do would be to go to Sanders for a response, and this. My friends, I am sad to say, is the most damning thing about this entire story. But but she's calling other ideas you pitched, not the ones that you two are working on together, but she called other ones false promises and said that what you were doing was indefensible. That must bother you. Well, look, we are, of course it does, but we are in the middle of a campaign. And I trust me, if you go to some of the statements that I made about Hillary Clinton, you can see real differences. And this is hard. It's hard for me to watch Bernie be such a shill for Hillary. 
And, I, you know, you wanted to – even if you didn't support Bernie's yeah. policies, you wanted to believe there could truly be a politician who was a genuine, strong individual Stand who up. wasn't going to cave to politics. Yeah. And here he is defending Hillary for slamming the beliefs of the very people who funded and supported he him. He must be promised something pretty good in the cabinet, huh? I don't, I don't know. I, I can't fathom it. I don't think so. He has to be. Has to be. So we have differences. There's nothing to be surprised about. Uh, that's what a campaign uh, is all about. She also said this about your supporters. And let me also uh, remind people, you should go and listen. Go to the, the, the Washington Free Beacon website. They have the whole comments. You should listen to them all. But she said this about your supporters. That's their way of saying we're not going to play all of them. And right. I have it linked in the we're show We're going to have the edited version. Yeah. Some are new to politics completely. They're children of the Great Recession. And they are living in their parents' basement. So if you're feeling that you're consigned to, you know, being a barista or, you know, some other job that doesn't pay a lot and doesn't have much of a ladder of opportunity attached to it, then the idea that maybe, just maybe, you could be part of a political revolution is pretty appealing. You know, the reason why they're not, uh, the reason why they're not concerned about that getting out either is that was at a campaign event. Right. They probably assume when she's speaking in public like that, it's getting recorded. It's not like it was a private, right. closed yeah, door. Yeah, it was a fundraiser. Um, so this, this rate raises me. So her whole thing, I, I, I honestly believe the reason why they brought up the birtherism stuff with Trump for the last few weeks was to try to discredit him in the black community because Hillary is concerned about that vote. I, I think the reason why they are pressuring Bernie to come out and defend her so much as they are concerned about the young vote. There's these categories they lump people in. Hillary probably feels pretty comfortable with the woman's vote, I would imagine. Oh, yeah, totally. And probably any of the typical Democratic slash progressive white male vote. I think she probably feels like she's got that. Yeah, I agree. But then she's concerned about the millenniums because they might spin off for one of the third party candidates. And she hasn't played well with the Sanders stuff after the DNC leaks. So this is something that is a big problem because it translates into massive lack of enthusiasm. Did you know? Did you know that Hillary Clinton has a book out called Stronger Together? Yes, I a do. A new book? Yes. Do you know how many sales that book – just take a rough guess, actually, because I'm sure you don't know the number because that's a trick question. Do you have any guess in the first few weeks, which is the most important time for a book? It's, how you, it's, it's the time when you get on the bestsellers list. Right. It's the time when you sell the most copies of a book's life is the first few weeks. Right. Yep. Do you have a guess as to how many copies Hillary Clinton, the next potential president of the United States, somebody who has been in public eye and in public office mm-hmm. for 30 years, yeah. somebody who has one of the world's most famous names. Yeah. Can you take a guess to how many copies Hillary Clinton's new book has sold? 2,700. You are surprisingly close. I know. 3,500, I believe yeah, it was. Yeah, it's very low. Yeah. Hil- yeah. There is no enthusiasm for Hillary Clinton. None. Zero. Zilch. They box in her rallies so that way the crowds are more concentrated. They, they, she is getting no, when she goes places, there's people shouting, Bill's a rapist. Get, uh, good news, Chris. He, uh, you know, Hillary's coming up here uh, for ATM usage uh, next Friday. <laughs> I, I, I can imagine that's yeah. going to be packed full of people. Oh, yeah. My, my point is, is, like, is the crowds are super unenthused about Hillary. N- not like they are about Bernie or Trump. Um, and It's this, a little bit more muted. You don't normally get to hear this part of the audio before Hillary comes on stage. This is the rally speaker begging the crowd, come on, guys, turn it up a little bit for Hillary. Let's get some enthusiasm. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome New Hampshire Senate Minority Leader Jeff Woodburn. Well, yeah, why would anybody be excited about that? Here he comes. 
Let's put our hands together for Hillary Clinton. Come on now, let's go. And Bernie Sanders too, let's hear it, come on. He gets more attention from Bernie than it keeps on going. Come on, let's keep it going. And then they get her to walk out on stage. And but what's great, what's crazy great about that is the last person's name he gives people a shout out for is Bernie Sanders, and then Hillary walks out on stage. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's it's really the it's really there is a lack of enthusiasm in the public. I just find that to be kind of an interesting thing that I think we'll talk about more after the election. Did you know that the FBI made a little deal? With uh, some Clinton aides to destroy their laptops if they got access to them. Government property. They made a deal that if they got access to government property, they would then give these people immunity and destroy the laptops on their behalf. Whoa. Yep. New details about the immunity deals for two top Hillary Clinton aides. Former Clinton chief of staff Cheryl Mills and ex-campaign staffer Heather Samuelson were granted immunity in the FBI's Clinton email server investigation. And sources tell Fox News that part of that deal included the destruction of laptops. Fox News Chief Intelligence Correspondent Catherine Harris is here. So, Catherine, what's this all about? Well, a letter was obtained by us today, and it was sent by the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. That's the committee that had the hearing last week with FBI Director Comey. And this letter went to the Attorney General and said, we've now reviewed these deals, and what we see is that there are two side agreements, one for Mills, and one for Samuelson. They are very important figures because they're the ones who sorted the emails and determined what should be kept and what could be destroyed. And part of the deal was that the FBI could get access to these laptops. But Mills and Samuelson got immunity for obstructing justice and a guarantee... immunity from obstruction of justice. Correct. Sorry, pardon me, from that. And then also that after the FBI had searched the laptops, that they would destroy them. Why? Now... These were their laptops, right? That's correct, right. but... So, right. w- w- I can, can you think of a legitimate reason for destroying the laptops? Well, I spoke with two different uh, national security defense attorneys today. One said to me that the thing that puzzles them so much is that once classified information was on those computers, a government record, it automatically became government property. Oh, and even if so, even if the Clinton Foundation or the State Department gave them wow. personal funds or Cheryl Mills drove down to Best Buy and put it on her Discover card, if they had classified information and the investigation showed that there were 22 emails that were classified, right. then that became government property. Correct. So they made this crazy ass deal that gave these people immunity. For property that they already had, they already had ownership over. Huh. Those computers, a government record, it automatically became government property. And he didn't understand why they had to strike a deal when they should have been able to seize the computer because it had government property. The other attorney said to me that when you yeah, have, it wasn't, as, it wasn't like the, it wasn't <laughs> as if they would have been taken taken away from them and they would have lost their laptops. They destroyed them. That's right. Yeah, and this and here's the really puzzling thing, and you're really onto the leading edge of this. There are outstanding Freedom of Information Act lawsuits and then outstanding congressional investigations. And what's so puzzling is why these laptops would be destroyed when these matters are not resolved. I must say, Catherine, when I sat there that day when James Comey came out and gave the news conference, which was so damning in many respects of Hillary Clinton's behavior, and then announced that, you know, on agonizing balance, we decided not to prosecute. I thought, well, that sounds like he was on the up and up. The more I hear, 
the less it seems like uh, You know, we can't see these agreements, and I think the language would be very important, but the more we seem to know about this investigation and how it deviated from standard practice, the less people have faith, including Republicans on the Hill, that it was done in an impartial way. And, in fact, Chairman Goodlatte says... The that's evidence the suggests that, that's here. correct. He he says the evidence suggests that there was a predetermined outcome from the Justice Department that gave these deals. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Catherine, thank you. Wow. Yeah, I got uh, I got in the show notes here. I got a I got a link to um, a really good talk uh, by Judicial Watch. They they assembled a panel of experts on the Clinton Foundation, on um, Clinton financing, on all of this stuff, and it's about an hour and a half. And it's in it's a YouTube video, and it is if you are interested in this, in this at all, if you have any doubt whether she violated the law, you really should watch this video. I can't I couldn't pull an individual clip from it. It was just it was really good, and uh, that is in the shoe notes. Shoe, shoe notes, as I say, shoe notes. But I do have like a taste. I'll give you a taste. Okay, just a, just a little taste. And there, I, this is a tiny fraction. This is so the, the the stuff. The thing in the show notes is is a hundred times better, and I encourage you to watch it. But this is a taste. Hey, a new book is exposing disturbing new details about Hillary hey. Clinton's server hey. investigation. Hey. Guilty as sin is the quote, and that's the title. Reveals the officials in the Obama administration decided before the investigation even started that the Democratic nominee would not face prosecution. So what else did that author uncover? Let's ask him. That's right. Ed Klein joins us right now. Good morning, morning to you. Good morning. Oh, looks like the book's already a, a bestseller. Uh, I read about half of it. Why did Barack Obama not want Hillary Clinton to be the nominee for the Democrats? Because he and Bill Clinton are blood feud guys. I mean, they really dislike each other. And his feeling was if the Clintons got in the White House, the Obamas would be marginalized. So he really was pushing Joe Biden. He was pushing who Joe. Out, and then he was pushing Elizabeth Warren. And he had secret meetings with Biden and, and Warren trying to convince wow. them to run against Hillary, and both of them said no. Because Joe had the tragedy with his son. That's and right. And he could not, it, obviously, we totally understand. He, he really wanted it. to run for president, Joe did. He just didn't have it in him because of that tragedy. And uh, Barack Obama wanted Hillary Clinton indicted, said turn everything over to the FBI. That was before he was stuck with her and right. realized he had to put his full support behind How do you know that? How do I know it? Because I have sources w both inside the White House, inside the Obama administration. But none of that matters because the source that really matters? Inside the Clinton administration. And I have a very good source who's very close to Valerie Jarrett. Okay. Oh, that's Valerie Jarrett is Obama's Uma. Ah. She is Obama's Uma. And she's been with Obama for a long time. She is, if you want to get to Obama, you go through Valerie. When uh, Obama was transitioning to take over the White House from uh, Bush, Valerie Jarrett ran that transition team. Mm. When the Obama administration decided to invite Secretary of Clinton to be the Secretary of State, Obama was very concerned about the corruption of the Clinton Foundation and demanded a, a memorandum of understanding. You can look that up yourself. It was Valerie Jarrett that negotiated that memorandum of understanding between the Obama administration and the Clinton Foundation. Now, the issue here was is that Obama was fully aware of the money laundering schemes that is the Clinton Foundation and the IRS House of Cards in which it is built on top of. And so he required that there be 
a signed agreement by the Clinton Foundation and the Obama administration that would outline how they would function and how those influences would take place. Now, Hillary fully violated this commitment completely, and it was a non-binding agreement, so of course she did it. But in this, you can see how Valerie Jarrett was very essential in crafting such a crucial agreement from before he was in the office to now today. He's still, even if you are a government official and you want access to Obama, you got to go through Valerie. And so if this guy has sources connected to Valerie Jarrett, damn, that's that's pretty good. Inside the Obama administration, inside the Clinton administration, and I have a very good sources very close to Valerie Jarrett. Okay, so after it was uh, realized Joe Biden wasn't going to run, Elizabeth Warren said it wasn't her time. Uh, you talk about a, a meeting in the White House. You got Valerie Jarrett and you got <laughs> Michelle Obama, and they realize they got to tell the president they're going to have to do a 180. Yes. With the Department of Justice and the FBI, but the worry is that Comey might actually. Uh, suggest uh, charges. What happened there was the uh, attorney general, Loretta Lynch, was telling the public that this was an independent FBI investigation. At the same time, she was secretly going to the White House with FBI documents and filling in Valerie Jarrett and the the president about what was going on so that they could get a strategy to make sure that she Hillary would not be indicted. There's no doubt about it. Now, this guy's sources. So I, I haven't read this book yet, but I bought Clinton Cash and I got also I'm now I've read Clinton Cash and I now I just bought and starting to read uh, Partners in Crime. And so far, I'm very I'm very satisfied with their sourcing and their data. Okay. So if this guy's sourcing his data is as good as the other books, it's I would take everything this man is saying at face value because his so far everything's been well sourced. I've also listened to him on a panel uh, and he's very knowledgeable on the subject. And a lot of his research lines up with research I've done on the Clinton Foundation after I've read some of this stuff. So this is – and it, so he's he's going to continue to talk about Obama and his, his relationship and connection to the Clintons, why Obama had to cave when he really wanted to get Hillary indicted. And then he's going to end it on a little bit of health information that he found out. About what was going on so that they could get a strategy to make sure that she – Hillary would not be indicted. There's no doubt about it that people are wondering about the investigation uh, with James Comey in charge. But how can you actually compromise somebody that took on the Bush administration that is actually a Republican? How could you get Comey? How yeah. could you get him? What, what leverage do you have? He's got a term that's going to last eight years. This answer, when you look at Comey, when you look at the way he talks, when you look at the image he tries to project, the, the adult conversations that he wants to start... This man's answer, it nails it. I think. I not. This is the. I don't. Everything else he said, I, I could find. I could back up. This next comment, I can't back it up. But man, it feels right. He's got a term that's going to last eight years. But his goal in life is his reputation. This building that he's in, the FBI building, is literally falling down. I mean, it's crumbling. They're going to have to tear down that building. It's called the Hoover Building, right? His goal is to have the new building called the James Comey building. So they have this conversation. The president makes it very clear he doesn't want an indictment out of the Department of Justice. And regarding James Comey, uh, they thought, well, he might walk, he might quit, in which case they had a plan B. What would they do? They would pardon Hillary Clinton? That's right. (laughs) Or Hillary would pardon herself if she becomes president. 
Unbelievable. Yeah, it really is unbelievable because Comey had this reputation. They were planning a plan B to pardon her if Comey didn't, if Comey actually tried to indict her. She was never at risk. And you think the American people would be okay with that? And so uh, I want to I want to again mention the video in the show notes. It gives you so much more information about why it is a foregone conclusion that Comey caved. It's so obvious. Did you know that there are people in jail right now? There, uh, there is a a navy. Um, are, are they sailors? Uh, yeah, sailors. Yeah. There, well, he was a submarine technician. I'll say that okay. he was a submarine technician, and he took a picture of a piece of submarine equipment on his cell phone. He was thinking about sending it to family so they could see what he works on. Right. He never sent the picture. Okay. He never shared it with anybody. He's sitting in jail right now. What? So that's how serious – if it was anyone else, there would have been B-roll of FBI agents taking boxes of documents out of the Clinton house if it was anybody else. Remember when Petraeus? Yeah, it, yeah, There yeah. was B-roll of boxes coming out of his house. But when it's Hillary Clinton, it was a foregone conclusion they were going to pardon her for political reasons. Wow. And and you think about the damage it does when the director of the FBI makes legal decisions for political purposes. That fundamentally undermines the FBI because all of the agents there know what the hell he just did. Everybody in politics knows what he just did. He just transformed that office into a political office in a way that we haven't seen in a long time. Pardon Hillary Clinton? That's right. Or Hillary would pardon herself if she becomes president. Unbelievable. Yeah, it really is unbelievable because Comey had this reputation of being the Elliot Ness of his time, yeah. right? Untouchable. And when a push came to shove, he really collapsed. And he did refuse to indict her because he was protecting, as I say, his own reputation and the reputation of the FBI. What did you find out about her health? How did I find out what about did you find What out about did it? I find out about her health? A lot. I found out that she has uh, arrhythmia, which is a uncertain heartbeat. She has a leaky valve that uh, the doctors wanted her to replace in a uh, valve replacement surgery. And she said, no, I'm afraid it would leak out. I could buy that. Yeah. Could even explain if she has something like that and then she has chronic low blood pressure, could even explain the collapse. And people would say, then I'm not qualified to be president. She has a tendency, as we all know, to blood clot. So if she faints because of her low blood pressure and Mm -hmm. hits her head, she could get a blood clot that could be fatal. Well, it's a new book. It's going to be another bestseller, uh, Guilty as Sin by Ed Klein. Ed, thank you very much for joining us. Great to be here. I mean, yeah, he's there. He's there selling a book. But I tell you what, these guys are work. These guys work really hard and at their own at the risk of their own life to report on this stuff. Wow. I think it's I think it's worth checking out. I also in the supporters think have more Hillary audio if you want to hear some of those. But let's move on. Okay. Because uh, we're getting long and this is actually the segment right now that I was the dreading this is the point. This is remember I said earlier like I was dreading this batch of work and then I saw we had so many supporters that like I got motivation and then discovered something incredibly interesting in this pile of clips. So now we transition to our Trump coverage and I'll get to the point I'll tell you about the the point that got me excited here in just a moment. But okay. first, do you remember last week after the debate when Trump was complaining about his microphone? Oh yeah. Yeah, it turns out there was a problem. There was actually a problem. Into CNN news regarding the microphones at the presidential debate on Monday. You will remember that Donald Trump complained about his mic not working properly. CNN senior media correspondent Brian Stelter joins me now. What do we know, Brian? 
Hoping my mic works properly here, Poppy. This did not affect the television broadcast, but it did affect the thousand people who were in the room. That includes Trump's family members who were sitting up front. Here's what the, uh, the debate commission just announced in a very short and sweet statement. They say, yes, there were issues regarding Donald Trump's audio that affected the sound level in the debate hall. So they say it was in the debate hall. But, you know, that actually, if you think about it, would really be if you're listening to the debate hall feed, that would really F with you. That would mess with you. Yeah. That would be bad because you're not listening to the television feed. No, no, no. You're listening to a, a little monitor. Also, I feel like they had the microphone too low for him. Yeah. They needed to they needed to fix bring that. it closer. So it's kind of funny that it, there was actually some mic issues. Yes, and, there then, was. and then it makes it worse because it wasn't apparent to the TV audience. They're like, what's he what's he talking about? The mic was fine. It's worst case scenario. Almost like it was intentional. No, no, no. 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 So let's talk about uh, the taxes because this is the story that actually surprised me. There is a nugget in here that I wasn't expecting. Uh, All right. You heard about these? Well, I know about – yeah. The the 1995 taxes. All right. This is just sort of a quick breakdown of uh, what's actually in there that's that's, uh, chewable. We know that key details are still missing because the New York Times – doesn't have Trump's complete tax returns, and CNN can't confirm the authenticity of the documents that it does have. That said, here's what the Times is reporting. Trump declared a loss of $916 million in 1995. That loss could be used to cancel taxable income for potentially up to 18 years. Now, this is not new information. You've heard all of this so far. Yes. Yeah. Nothing new. And uh, they go on to explain that these are business losses and it's uh, it's a legal tax deduction, et cetera, et cetera. You, you don't need to hear any more of that, though. Yeah, you, you've no. heard this part I've of heard the story. this. We've heard this already. Yeah. Yes. Have you heard, and you may have, have you heard, don't, don't, don't give it away, but just say yes or no. Have you heard how this New York Times reporter got Trump's taxes? No, I didn't. Yeah, I don't think many people have. That's actually the interesting bit I discovered about this story. It turns out some generous, anonymous donor dropped them off in her interagency mailbox right there at the New York Times. What? They just dropped off t- Trump's tax returns in her mailbox. First of all, you know, how did you see them? Did you realize right away what you had there? Did it look like junk mail? <laughs> it, it didn't look like junk mail. Um, it was addressed from the Trump Tower. And I, it was a Friday afternoon. I was on deadline and I was walking by. Can you believe this? Yeah. My mailbox and I saw it out of the corner of my eye and I opened it. I was really curious what it was. And. I just said, wow, when I saw three pages of his 1995 tax returns, I immediately... Wow, she thought. (laughs) Wow. They just happened to be in my inbox. They just happened to be in my inbox. Now, if you check her Twitter feed, and I have a few example tweets linked in the show notes, and if you check some of her past posts on the New York Times, she is very aggressive with Trump. She's aggressive specifically on Trump's taxes. She's been tweeting about it for weeks. So somebody figured out, somebody figured out who to give it to her. Somebody. Won't he release his tax returns? And I. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that somebody might just be somebody from the Clinton campaign. This is last week. This was the debates last week, which were on Monday. Yeah, it was a Monday. This gal that the New York Times got Trump's tax returns on Friday. Right. So this is Hillary Clinton on Monday. I think there may be a couple of reasons. First, maybe he's not as rich as he says he is. Second, Maybe he's not as charitable as he claims to be. Third, we don't know all of his business dealings, but we have been told through investigative reporting that he owes about $650 million to Wall Street and foreign banks. 
Or maybe he doesn't want the American people, all of you watching tonight, to know that he's paid nothing in federal taxes because the only years. Now, had you ever heard that before this debate? No. This was at the time new information and it seemed like she was speculating about Russia and this. As the only years that anybody's ever seen were a couple of years when he had to turn them over to state authorities when he was trying to get a casino license and they showed he didn't pay any federal income tax. So that makes if me he's smart. Paid- <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. So uh, that was I remember that stood out during the debate. So it's and- smart. So Andrea Mitchell asked the New York Times reporter Do you know who your sources were? Can you confirm where they came from? And I don't believe the New York Times actually does. Or if they do, well, this is what she's saying. Just to understand them, kind of both verify and disprove all at the same time. And have you figured out where they came from? They were addressed from the Trump Tower, and we were were able to separately verify them on the record via um, the accountant who signed them, Jack Mitnick. So somehow they got access to Jack Mitnick. I don't know how maybe that was that prearranged for them. Did they call and say, hey, we're the New York Times. Will you do this for us? So they got an accountant involved with the original taxes to confirm it. But they don't seem to have the source. I'll play this back for you. Just you get a full thing without me interrupting. Figured out where they came from. They were addressed from the Trump Tower, and we were, um, we were able to separately verify them on the record via um, the accountant who signed them, Jack Mitnick. But you don't know who was the anonymous donor, if you will. Uh, usually, usually I'm the one asking the question, so I hate it when people say no comment yeah. to me, but uh, I've got to give yeah, you I'm not no asking comment. who the source was. I'm just asking um, whether you were able to verify who sent them to you. And we're not commenting on that. Okay. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. It was the Clinton. It was somebody in the Clinton campaign. Wow. And you know what? You know what? It's dirty play because this is how the Clinton campaign works. This is how a business that is well marketed works. Think about like um, when Apple releases a new iPhone. Yeah. They have the presentation that they give. They have the keynote. In right. this case, it was the debate. Yeah. Then they work with their media sources to give them review units or direct yeah. information. Yeah. And then they work at a certain time to then release that information to correspond with another part of their product marketing. Right. This is how a business works. Yeah. The Clinton campaign is a well put together marketing machine. And the fact of the matter is, while the New York Times didn't break the law, whoever gave the New York Times these documents broke the law. They absolutely broke the law. Yeah. Did the New York Times break the law? No, the New York Times did not break the law, but someone apparently did. We don't know who because we don't know who sent it to the New York Times. Look, a tax return once filed is the property of the government, and it has the highest degree of protection of any category of documents. So somebody broke the law by getting this partial return into the hands of the New York Times. But once in the hands of a, a professional media person or organization, Quote if the material in the document is material to the public interest, like the Pentagon Papers or the Snowden exposures or Donald Trump's tax returns, then the publication of the contents of the document is protected, meaning they can't be sued and they can't be prosecuted. I understand the Trump uh, campaign's frustrations. Yeah. I think that is, I think that's, where did these documents come from? Why did they show up in this journalist's mailbox? Why was this journalist chosen when she has an obvious anti-Trump reporting history? Right, yep. It all leads back to the Clinton campaign. Exactly. 
Wow. Or somebody working for them. All right. So we're going to wrap up with uh, a high note and a little third-party candidate coverage. We're going to go with Gary Johnson because he seems to be pulling the highest. And it is the one that uh, I think the Clinton campaign is the most afraid of. They are. And so let's talk about Gary Johnson. And we can't... We can't talk about Gary Johnson without talking about his debate performance with Chris Chris Matthews first, even though, again, here we are. We're once again on MSNBC, and one of the hosts is railroading Gary Johnson again. Yeah. It's why does he keep going back on MSNBC? Trump doesn't do it. Any exposure is exposure. Clinton doesn't go on MSNBC, does he? Any exposure is exposure. I guess. But the way Matthews goes after him, it was the same kind of thing. All right, so let's play this clip and watch Gary Johnson just not do well. Who's your favorite foreign leader? Who's my favorite? Any, just name anywhere in the country. Anywhere. He's already failed when he repeats the question. The moment he repeats the question, he's stalling. Yeah. yeah. Although, the, and he, later he plays it off as a technicality. Well, look, it's five days later. I still don't have a favorite. I mean, it's, it was a funny technicality he played it off on. But man, does he look bad here. I'll play the whole thing without interrupting. Yeah. Who's your favorite foreign leader? Who's my favorite? Any, just name anywhere in the country. Any one of the continents, any country. Name one foreign leader that you respect. Boom, look boom, up boom. To. Anybody. Boom, boom, boom. boom, boom, boom. Shimon Peres. No, no, okay, I'm talking about living. Go ahead. <laughs> you got to do this anywhere, any continent. Canada, Mexico, Europe over there, uh, Asia, South America, boom, Africa, boom, name boom, boom, boom. a foreign leader that you respect. I guess I'm having an Aleppo moment in the former former president of Mexico. But I'm giving you the whole world. I know, I know. I know Anybody I know. in the world you like. Boom, 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 Anybody. Boom. Pick any leader. The former president no. of Mexico. Which one? I'm, I'm having a brain. I'm well, having name a brain anybody. Fox. Okay, who's your favorite foreign leader? Get him off the hook. So the fact that he gave him, I'm having an Aleppo moment, the fact that he gave him that hashtag is, was a huge mistake right there. And so he comes on CNN to try to explain what's going on. So let's talk about a couple of the awkward moments first before we get to some other stuff. And I just want to ask you about some of the foreign policy flubs that you've had publicly lately. First, there was the Aleppo moment where you didn't know what Aleppo was, and then you couldn't name your favorite foreign leader. So what's what's going on with you? Do you feel like this is a, a tight road there, a rope they're walking here? Because I, I would bet you that if I if I went to <laughs> any of the people in my family and I asked them what is Aleppo and where is it, I don't know yeah, if but, any of them would have the answer. But he's a major presidential candidate, Chris. They all should know what Aleppo is. I know that. I but in the back of the public's mind that are watching this, shouldn't they be going? Well, I, I don't. I know. I can't name any leader. Right. Well, the, what they're trying to do if is If you ask me my favorite world leader, I don't think I'd have an answer. Uh, you would say Angela Merkel and you would. No, I don't think I would. Oh, Angela Merkel. Uh, no, I would say Justin Trudeau. Because he's th- cool and hip, uh, I think, Trudeau, and all the girls uh, I, love him. I think he's a windbag. I think what who I, <laughs> I think who I would go for is that uh, who's that president in the Philippines right now who's calling Obama son oh, of a whore and all these. That's right, yeah. that guy. Let's yeah. go with him. Yeah. He's murdering like crazy right now. And foreign affairs. How do you explain those moments? Well, Allison, what is it? Five days now after the name your favorite foreign leader. I still can't do that. Um, why you know, not? One of the surprises I had never. Name, but I mean, why not? Favorite, favorite foreign leader. I can't name. A, you know, get, getting involved in politics, having never been involved in politics before, um, I held a lot of people in this country on pedestals, and then I get to meet them up front and personal, and I find out that they're all about getting reelected. That they're not about issues that. A lot of empty suits that I held up on pedestals. So I'm a real skeptic when it comes to uh, elected leaders. <laughs> not a bad answer. No, not, not bad. Not horrible. 
Uh, not great for him though, because he's coming across. They're 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 portraying him now as a clown, and then his hair his hair doesn't work for him. It's the same problem that all the third party candidates always have is they because. When you become an official candidate of the RNC or the DNC, they pay for you to have a makeup and hairstylist. Oh, yeah. Before you go on the air, they have a person that does your makeup I and mean, hair. I mean, he's the one running cars and you know, without a you know, security detail. Right. And so, yeah. yeah and so, so as a third-party candidate, nobody's doing your makeup and your hair. You're doing it yourself. And so they always look less disheveled or more disheveled. They always look less presentable. They always look uh, a little more off kilter, and Sanders had the same problem. Right now, Clinton had her own her own team already, obviously, and of course, it's something Trump's mastered a long time, being somebody who's in the media eye for years. So that is one of the things that gives Gary that look, that crazy unkept look. The same, this is the same problem that Rand has had, and the same problem Ron Paul has. They don't get the official camera and makeup person. That the campaign puts in there. Right. So when they go on the air, they look less put together. If they actually ever became president or or got in a, in a place of office, then they would get the same PR treatment that all the officials get. So let's go back to Sanders. Speaking of a third party candidate that didn't look all put together. This hurts, but we got to play it. And once again, Sanders, extremely disappointing, playing the role of the politician, urging his backers not to vote for Gary Johnson. A lot of Clinton advisors are worried, as I'm sure you know, that a sizable number of your former supporters might go to a third-party candidate such as Jill Stein or Gary Johnson. Uh, Gary Johnson, the libertarian candidate, struggled this week to name a foreign leader whom he respects. Take a listen. Who's your favorite foreign leader? Who's my favorite? Any, just name anywhere in the country, any one of the continents, any country. Name one foreign leader that you respect. I'll jump ahead since we just watched that. Uh, but the reason why they're playing is because now they're getting Sanders to respond to it. I know you disagree with Gary Johnson on a range of policy issues where you and Secretary Clinton agree. Do you think he's qualified to be president? I, you know, that wasn't the most impressive interview I have ever heard. But I think more importantly than that, people make mistakes you know, doing interviews. Look at his point of view on issues like the environment, on climate change, on the economy. Uh, and, and I think if any of people who voted for me take a hard look at what he stands for, I think uh, and understand where he's coming from, uh, they will not be supporting uh, not be supporting him. Yeah. So there you go. Sanders uh, telling people not to support uh, Johnson. And you know what's sort of disappointing about it? And of course, he has to lick his lips there because he's he can't even stand the taste of uh, the words coming out of his mouth right now. <laughs> That's actually a that is actually a thing. Um it downplays the fact that the reason people would be voting for Johnson would probably be the name, the main reason they were voting for Sanders. Maybe for some it was free college. Maybe for some it was his economic policies that I'm still not totally clear on. But I think for most people it was, damn, I just want something different. I just want a, something a breakaway different. Away that's why from I think the why status I, quo. I think that's why a lot of people are supporting Trump. Yeah, and that I think is the disingenuous nature of his response. Yeah. He knows the people that were supporting him were desperate for a revolution and they don't want more of the same. They don't want Clinton and they and then there's the people who can't stand Trump. Right. That's correct. And they have nowhere else to go and he knows it. Yep. So that's I just it's it's awful to see him it's chilling sad. like that. Yeah. I guess as we get down to the last few 30 days of the before the election, I guess he's got to do it. All right, let's get out of here on our high note. We like to do this from time to time. But speaking of the elections, there is a little bit of uh, cannabis tie-in. Yeah. 
Starting today, it is now legal to buy pot for recreational use in Oregon. Almost two years after Oregon voters cast ballots legalizing recreational marijuana, the first dozen shops licensed to sell it are now open for business. State regulators have licensed dozens of recreational producers and testing labs to stock the shelves. Medical marijuana stores in Oregon opened last year. So there you go. So Oregon is uh, is uh, although those, uh, it's funny how whenever that happens, they always have the shots of people lighting, lighting up, up in joints. the streets. Yeah. But you know, I don't actually I don't actually know that. I my understanding, at least in Washington, is that I don't think pre roll joints are the primary seller. I think it's flour and it's edibles. It is yeah. that sell it's more flour and edibles. And then and then and then uh, pre roll joints are lower down the list. But of course, the media is always showing shots of them lighting up because ridiculous yeah, looking that's, joints. Because that's 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 the you know that's what it looks like. All right, a little bit more on the election in pop. Uh, uh, right now, Nevada could see a larger than normal turnout of young voters this November, another critical group this election season. The Silver State, one of five states that will vote on measures that could legalize marijuana. And this could help Johnson, too, actually. This, the, the fact that pot's on the ballot, it, is, it appeals to younger voters, yeah. and Johnson has a pro-pot stance, that, yeah. that, that could, could play well for him. For recreational use, and that could draw young voters to the polls. MSNBC's Jacob Soboroff is in Las Vegas. Wonder why I pitched this one for us this morning. The latest installment of his Up for Grabs series. Jake- Las Vegas having recreational pot would be a big boon for that city. That I would- wonder if the casinos are going to allow it in. I don't, I don't know about inside the casino, yeah. right? Because Maybe they'll have a pot patio or something. I wonder. I, I think it'd be. I think it could make some serious money. Uh, Plus, by the you way, know they're going to want people gambling when they're stoned. Uh, by we? the way, Chris, you know I am <laughs> trying to get to CES this year. Oh, yeah? yeah. Really? <laughs> uh, well, oh, okay. Hey, okay, we'll wrap up. Apparently, when, when the research needs to get done, yeah. when somebody, somebody's got to come around and actually get the work done. And no, I'm not talking about military work. If there's a need for a rescue mission. Yeah! And the world is threatened. The world needs help. Yeah. It calls on America. Oh, yeah! No, I'm talking about, and that's the story. Yeah, doing a pot study here in the state of Washington. Washington State University researchers are using one million dollars to study the effects of marijuana legislation or legalization, rather. That study will go on for three years and focus on how marijuana has affected law enforcement and crime in Washington and neighboring states. The study has a few goals. First, they hope to help law enforcement around the country better deal with marijuana by creating a series of best practices. It will also also look at the effects of policing before and after legalization and how the legalization process affects parts of the state differently. So I'm not totally sure how that's going to go. We'll see. We'll keep an eye out. Yeah. Sometimes like the AAA did a, a you know, a report uh, and they came out and said uh, basically that the, the, the standards they use to measure if somebody's influenced under pot when they're driving and the statistics that they're using right now to demonstrate crashes while under the influence of pot are all bogus. But the way the report got spun was that marijuana-related crashes were up. Right. And see, even when, the, even when the study comes out and sort of debunks myths, it still can get spun in a certain way. But don't worry. Your On Filter show will be here we will keep to an break eye it all it down. Also, sure. coming up in just a little bit, going to start clipping the vice president debates. Yet. I don't really have much excitement about it, but if there's anything interesting, we'll play it for you. So don't worry. Just like you didn't have to watch that two-hour-long Assange nightmare that I had to watch. Assange! We'll be watching it for you and then breaking it down on episode 208, which will be next week. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to join us live and then watch it at jblive.tv or subscribe to the RSS feed and get it automatically 
every single Chris, week. Chris, now I have a question for you. Probably during the week, you might be tweeting out some stories. You were, me. you were down in Bellevue. That's true. Uh, checking out some burgers and That's stuff. That's right. Where can people follow you on the Twitter? Oh, at Chris LAS. Stands for the Linux Action Show. At Chris LAS. Also, the network's at Jupiter Signal. What about yourself? You know, people can follow me at Nunes. N U N E S. Get out of I here. I give people three more characters. You bastard. And Clever bastard. at Geek Gamer TV, we just had a great show uh, talk, talking about uh, what Google put out today. Oh, yeah. And also the big controversy with No Man's Sky. Interesting. Also, I'll give a little plugsy for the overtime coming up. If you're looking at your podcast player or your YouTube player or whatever and you've seen more more playback time, that's because overtime is about to start. Stick around for more news. And all 502 you patrons out there, I want to give you guys a big hug. Thank you for putting us over the top. And please, someone let me know what I promised. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody. We'll see you back here next week. your wife it's overtime for episode 207 of the unfilter program now i am i am elated to say thank you to the supporters we got last week really rewarding so thank you to Bill, Nicolin, Paulo, Jesse, Adam, Andrew, Corey, Mr. TZ, Jake, Bob, Allen, Big Sambino, Alex, Bill, Zach, Nathan. I'm not even done yet. Taka, Scott, Computer Dude, Matthew, Lance, Sean, Jeff, Hodge, Alex, Joel, Tom, Michael, Kent, Brandon, Dana, Chris, Mr. Z, Constance, Juna, Justin, Matthew, Jacob, and Chris. Wow! Thank you. Thank you for supporting the show. Thank you for making it possible. Thank you for making it a legitimate business investment for the Jupiter Broadcasting Network. I think this show has even further to grow, and I'm going to start building out as time goes. It's not the first thing on my list, so I don't even know if I'll get it done before next year. But I'm going to start building out that Patreon page to better reflect the high ambitions we have for this show. And uh, maybe better better encapsulate why your support is so important. Now, before I start the overtime completely, I will just mention that I am following the real-time live feed of the presidential debates. Or I'm sorry, the vice presidential debates, which, as I'm recording this, are queuing up right now. Uh, that might lend itself to more conversational interactions, perhaps less aggressive. But So I'll keep an eye on it. If there's anything that really gets me excited... I might break in with live coverage of that. But otherwise, we have real news to talk about this week. Stuff that was breaking that I couldn't quite fit into the show either for flow or for time or because I just want to take a little more time with the clip and talk about them here. So let's start with the one that was, I would guess, on the tip of a lot of your minds when we were talking about Julian Assange. You were probably surprised we didn't bring up the reports that Hillary Clinton joked about droning Julian. Now, you... We'll probably see the links in the show notes that talk about this. 
where she says, why can't we just drone the guy? Now, the Clinton campaign is going to downplay something like this as a joke, but let's be honest. You read it yourself. It doesn't sound like she was joking. Did you ever joke about droning us on? Well, I, I don't know anything about what he's talking about, and uh, I don't recall any joke. Um, it would have been a joke if it uh, had been said, but I don't recall that. It would have been a joke. It would have been a joke. Okay. All right. So, of course, that would be a pretty good defense to go with. Why don't we keep, while we're talking about Hillary, why don't we take a moment and uh, let's do a little update on Hillary's health? Because I'll be completely honest with you. It's one of the topics that continues to fascinate me. Is she healthy? Is she hiding something? Is she supposedly had pneumonia? Is it gone now because she hasn't been coughing much in public? Or has she? So I decided to look at some of her speeches recently just to look for little anomalies, just to kind of see how she's doing. And I had to review a few of them, but a definite couple of moments stood out. So we're going to go to Fort Pierce in uh, Florida. Uh, This was, I think, on Saturday. And this is Hillary Clinton attempting to hide a cough. And uh, you can kind of catch it. And you can tell that she's trying very hard not to show it. I'm trying to end the campaign, focusing on issues that are really close to my heart. Starts to lose it right here. She's one of them. She starts to push through the phlegm here. And as she's doing this, she's unwrapping a lozenge to put in her mouth. Thank you. She uses that we love you, Hillary moment there to shout. Now, one of the things is somebody who uh, sometimes has this happen while he's on air. One of the best ways for me to clear my throat is to go a little off mic and shout something kind of loud because that pushes through. That clears it out. And then in goes the lozenge. You know, for me, service is really all about she's still dealing with destruction it. of my Methodist faith. And you can see part of <clears throat> the creed I like to follow behind me. Now, she's losing her voice entirely at this point. There is something that is restricting her ability to speak. Do all the good you can in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can. And you can hear as she's getting louder and she's able to exert more air pressure somehow. It's like she's it's like it's slowly opening up. And as you begin to do that, as you begin to get in that range, and I just did it right there. You begin to clear that you begin to clear that phlegm out of the way. To all the people you can. That's right. As long as ever there you, go. you there, can. And she's got it. Now she's got it. She put she powered through. She powered through. That's right. Now, that, there's, so there's probably about five examples I found overall. This was another one that was at an Iowa rally on Friday, I believe. Built a lot of businesses on the backs of the little guy. Her words. And I have met people there it is. who have been the victims because they had a boss who rewarded them for the hard work they did to make it a successful and there it is again. company altogether. So... And the final point I want to make about this is... And then she takes a lozenge. <laughs> it's still, there's still something happening there. I don't have any more than that really. I also, I did, I, of course, we probably all saw the images, the gifs of her hands uh, at the debate. A lot of people are thinking she's operating a, a mouse, which I think is completely ridiculous. So there's still something there. We're still, I don't know. We, I don't think we're getting the complete story. She's obviously still struggling a bit. While we're on this topic, let's talk about uh, one of our surrogates, Mr. Bill Clinton. 
we got to figure out what to do now on health care. Her opponent said, oh, just repeal it all. The market will take care of it. That didn't work out very well for us, did it? We wound up with the most expensive system in the world, and we insured the smallest percentage of people. On the other hand, the current system works fine if you're eligible for Medicaid, if you're a lower-income working person, if you're already on Medicaid. If you're not, he says he goes on to say it's the craziest thing in the world, but the clip cut off right sort of at the uh, the best part. Now, this is also a uh, late-breaking news story right here. This is CNN Breaking News. Now, the Russian embassy in Damascus has been hit by mortar fire from uh, the rebel-held area. And here's Artis Maragizdiev with all the details from Syria. Well, we're told that three shells targeted the embassy in its vicinity. One of the shells landed inside the embassy compound and two shells landed uh, very close by. Nobody uh, was injured. However, those weren't the only shells to target Damascus. There was, uh, there was a lot, dozens apparently. Uh, one of the shells, one mortar round, landed just 50 meters from a hotel where I was staying in Damascus and which uh, I left only uh, yesterday. We're told that they were all fired from... Jobar. Jobar is the closest area that rebels hold uh, to uh, to Damascus itself. It's a- rebels, rebels that might be backed by the U.S. that are striking on an Assad position as sort of a message, perhaps a small, uh, very much demolished enclave. But uh, here, I've got to say that uh, we're talking about Jaish al-Islam, the army of Islam, Islamists who uh, who control this area. Uh, And they began, they launched this attack just hours after the United States announced its pulling out uh, of peace talks with Russia, uh, the Syrian peace process. Seems like a message to me, potentially. And uh, while we're on the topic of Syria, then we'll move on. While the Syrian flashpoint city of Aleppo continues to suffer as various factions battle government soldiers. And in that town is RT correspondent Murad Gazdia. Welcome to the government side of Aleppo. This is what you see on your way in. We're just a few hundred meters away from the front lines, and this area is basically like a target range for rebel Hellcannons and artillery. What's remarkable, though, is that there are people living and working in these very buildings behind us. In fact, there are more than a million people in the government-held part of Aleppo. Wow. The other thing in Aleppo is checkpoints. They're everywhere and they can take a while to get through for good reason. It is their job to prevent ISIS or jihadists, rebels, from bringing suicide bombers or car bombs, weapons into Aleppo. There's enough shelling as it is. I, I, I am struck by the fact that people are still working and living in that condition. So, I would encourage you to watch the rest of the clip. Maybe they should send Gary Johnson there for a tour. Maybe that'd be good. Good old Gary, get in there. <laughs> uh, so let's uh, let's shake that off. Let's move on to something a little more uplifting as the overtime continues.
to dig into some of these stories here. And this this one about the Clinton audio, we didn't really get a lot of chance to talk about the source of that leaked Clinton tape where she sort of disparaged to a degree Sanders supporters. So I thought I'd play this uh, background clip for you from uh, the reporter at uh, the Free Beacon that originally discovered this audio and then uh, uh, provided it uh, in their reporting, which is what CNN was picking up in the report we played earlier in the show. New to politics completely. They're children of the Great Recession, and they are living in their parents' basement. Uh, they feel that they got their education, and the jobs that are available to them are not at all what they envisioned for themselves, and they don't see much of a future. That's Hillary Clinton talking about Bernie Sanders supporters at a Virginia fundraiser back in February, recorded and apparently recovered from hacked emails. Joining me now, Lachlan Marquet, staff writer for the Washington Free Beacon, a conservative paper. That's where the audio first showed up. Where did it come from? Uh, it came from a website called DCLeaks.com, which is uh, suspected oh. of having ties to Russian hackers oh. that we've seen uh, intruding into all sorts of uh, political databases recently. So how did DC Leaks? Get their hands on that audio. Did they hack it themselves? No, of course not. But that's what that reporter is implying, isn't he? He's implying that DC leaks hacked it. He's saying that they got the audio and then they, they report it from there. Somebody leaked it to DC leaks. That's the whole point. They're like WikiLeaks specifically for shit on the DNC, aren't they? So this this whole thing, the premise is I, I'm, I, I already reject his reality and substitute it for my own. That we've seen uh, intruding into all sorts of uh, political databases recently, DNC, uh, DCCC, and apparently uh, actually the, the account of a White House staffer who was volunteering oh. on the Clinton campaign, which is where this email and the audio that was in it came from. Now, she said this during the primary when she was running against Bernie Sanders, and her campaign is saying this audio is taken out of context. How so? Well, you know, I think uh, it was clear that she was expressing some sympathy for these people she was saying live in their parents' basement. But I think it does reinforce, you know, it kind of sounds like a stereotype of millennials. And as a millennial, I can say we're sort of tired of being stereotyped. Um, and I think that's what is really going to irk some of Sanders supporters. And these are people who she's still having trouble bringing into her camp. Only about half of Sanders supporters, according to recent polls, say they're committed to voting for Hillary. Her going on the trail recently with Sanders has demonstrated that she thinks she needs that support. And this, uh, I think, is only going to exacerbate it. Donald Trump has said that this tape uh, is a sign that Bernie Sanders should unendorse her. <laughs> but here's what uh, Bernie himself said on CNN. So we've seen this part. Well, uh, no, we've seen this part. Uh, I think we could, we could, we don't need to cover it. In fact, what might be nice right now is to transition over to the live VP debate. VP, the VP debate, which is, uh, I think, uh, just moments away from actually kicking off. So we could catch that. Tim and, and to Mike tonight, you're not the message. <laughs> the other fella is. The other woman is. And that, in that sense, it could be a sort of an unsatisfying debate because they're going to talk past each other, I suspect, each attacking the other's principle. I bet – you know what? I bet instead of having to listen to their talking heads, I bet we could – not to use this as a metaphor, but I bet we could squeeze one more off. You know what I mean though? I think like uh, – I think we could probably get one more clip in. How about this one on Merkel? Let's get – because remember, uh, this is also <laughs> – this is also relevant. It's all tied together. The world leader that everybody's supposed to mention that they love when they can't think of one is Angela Merkel. Hillary just did it. It was the one that people said that Gary Johnson should have done. Angela Merkel. Everybody loves Angela. Hopes of a smooth day of German unity were shattered uh, because of hundreds of anti-migrant Pegida movement protesters that oh. had gathered in Dresden city centre. Oh. In fact, they jeered and whistled at Angela Merkel at one point, along with other politicians. were all present for the celebrations there. Artist Lizzie Phelan was there too. Oh, good.
Get out. Get out. Those are protests outside while she's inside. Traitors, get out. Traitors, get out. That's what they're shouting. Today is supposed to be the day that Germany celebrates 26 years since reunification, but it seems like this anniversary is just highlighting just how divided uh, Germany is. As you mentioned, the German Chancellor Angela Merkel today is in the city of Dresden for the official celebrations. But Dresden is perhaps the most symbolic city of just how divided Germany is. It is the city where that huge uh, anti-Islam far-right movement Pegida was founded that over the last couple of years has been bringing thousands out into the streets, including today, where, as you just showed, hundreds of yeah. people have been it seems, protesting against the German Chancellor Angela Merkel. It seems that this is not playing well for her. This entire immigrant crisis is not playing well for her. All right, let's transition over to the live CNN feed as uh, S is about to go down. Mahal in Atlantic City, who sold pianos and never got paid, and all of a where sudden this, they tie it to where the tax this, issue. Where this could go is... There was a great column in the Wall Street Journal today by Brett Stevens, who was decidedly not a Trump right. fan. But he wrote a column as if a speech for Donald Trump. And the essence of it was liberal hypocrisy. And that wherever you go, Donald Trump, one of the reasons he strikes a nerve with people is because he says they're raising this fuss. I mean, think of, think of uh, Alicia Merchado. Oh, what? That's all they got for us, huh? Oh, and the stream goes down? Clinton this morning no, talking good. about, uh, that little stream yesterday go. morning, whenever it was, talking about, uh, with a, a young woman about bullying woman, women. And there you've got this whole string of women who feel they've been personally bullied by Hillary Clinton. This is the one of the, probably one of the things that if you only catch our clips of our show, you don't ever see, is this BSing they do before the show. They just go on and on, killing time. Whether it's women whether it's so whatever. You're that Trump, that Trump, that, Trump's ba- main argument for himself is you suck too. I mean, the, the part of the problem that we have is, is that there's these... I find this, I find this commentary to be, to be like nails on chalk. So let's switch over. Let's see how Fox is doing. Let's see if they're doing a better job at this. Shannon Bream's in Washington with a little bit of perspective. Shannon? Well, Shep asked how he was feeling tonight heading into the debate. Democrat Senator Tim Kaine said simply, very good. A, t- a top Kane aide describes him as rested and ready. Another says he is ready to land a punch with a smile. Ugh. We are told his debate prep has been very serious and focused, fueled by a steady stream of black coffee and M&Ms. What? Hillary Clinton tweeted out a short time ago, at Tim Kane spent his whole life fighting for working families, so I have no doubt he'll do the same tonight. Go get him, Tim. The official Trump team tweeted out that Pence would prepare for the debate by doing some praying today, along with a link to him talking about what an important part of his day that is every day. Wow. Pence says he's been preparing for this debate since the wow. day he got the call from Trump to join the ticket. Wow. Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker has been playing the role of Senator Kane in several mock debates with Pence. The strategy for Pence tonight is to pivot away from those attacks on Trump and turn the criticism back to Mrs. Clinton's record. We've got brand new Quinnipiac well, there you University go. polling from key battleground states showing there is some shifting at the top of the ticket. In Florida, Clinton leads Trump 46. And of course, CNN still vamping over on, on their end, just to go back, just because it's fun to bounce around, isn't it? Your moment for both of these vice presidential candidates. I, I have to assume they're pretty nervous. Oh, you have to assume that they're nervous. Uh, they have been practicing, both of them, in more traditional ways. Uh, and when it comes to Mike Pence, what I have found fascinating is that he has done a slew of national interviews, not just to be a surrogate for Donald Trump, but to prepare for this moment, to 
be comfortable with getting really tough questions. So there's the narrative on both from both sides. That is the narrative. Uh, that'll be interesting. We'll come back on the clips. Uh, I'll watch this and uh, I'll sort of uh, I'll sort of break it all down for you. So, oh, oh, they're firing it up. They're starting right now. University in Farmville, Virginia, and welcome to the first Thank and you. only vice presidential debate of 2016, sponsored by the Commission on Presidential Debates. And Doritos. I'm Elaine Quijano, anchor at CBSN and correspondent for CBS News. It's an honor to moderate this debate between Senator Tim Kaine and Governor Mike Pence. Both are longtime public servants who are also proud fathers of sons serving in the U.S. Marines. Huh. The campaigns have agreed to the rules of this 90-minute debate. There will be nine different segments covering domestic and foreign policy issues. Each segment will begin with a question to both candidates, who will each have two minutes to answer. So we'll see them come out, then, and then we'll, I'll ask we'll follow-up questions to facilitate a discussion between the candidates. By coin toss, it's been determined that Senator Kane will be first to answer the opening question. We have mm. an enthusiastic audience tonight. They've agreed to only express that enthusiasm once at the end of the debate <laughs> and right now as we welcome Governor Mike Pence and Senator Tim Kaine. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Pence looks good. Thank you. Kane looks like Kane. And they're going to sit. Okay. There you go. So we'll watch this and we'll get clips in the uh, Unfilter Show. If you're watching live, stick around and uh, we'll keep streaming it uh, as the overtime wraps up. But before we go, before we leave the overtime segment, there was something I wanted to play just for you. It's one of those moments in reality where they, they generally, they don't put it out on the public. You don't generally get to see this. But this is one of those moments that every now and then, Every now and then. No, I'm not talking about uh, Bush and uh, Michelle. What, what you, oh, you didn't hear? Oh, okay. Well, okay. Before we go, before we go, I will play Bush and Michelle. But then, then I'm going to play you uh, my, uh, my favorite moment in politics probably in the last month. Finally tonight, in the middle of a presidential campaign filled with rancor, we were struck by a very different image over the weekend. Ugh. First Lady Michelle Obama Ugh. embracing former President George W. Bush. It happens for two seconds, and then they get this close-up picture of it, and then they zoom in. At the opening of the National Museum of African American History and Culture. Jeez, give me a break. Give me a break. And Oh, gosh. Oh, just, oh. Okay, so here's my favorite moment. This is Barry getting frustrated Yelling down at Bill. It's time to go. Let's go. And if you haven't seen the full clip, it's worth watching. Now, even though, even though it's going to get a, there'll be a fast forward effect through part of it. It's still, it's still awkwardly long. And according to the clip we played earlier, Obama and Bill hate each other. So it's kind of funny. Bill, let's go. Let's go. He's shaking his head. Other people come up the steps. They fast forward. He says hi to them. He's up there. He's still shaking his head. This is like two minutes in now, three minutes in. Come on. He starts clapping. Let's go. He walks out. Come on. Let's go. He walks out on the platform. Come on. I got to take you home. 
Let's go. I got to take you home. Here comes Bill. Bubba and Barry. Still getting to ride in Air Force One. It's working out pretty good for the Clintons, isn't it? Riding around with Barry and Air Force One. <laughs> Come on, let's go. I got to take you home. <laughs> Man, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. All right, let's go uh, live stream. Let's go watch that debate, see if there's anything clip-worthy for next week's episode. If you'd like to get some content into the show, unfiltered.reddit.com. And you know the best way to keep us on the air and support us is to join us at patreon.com slash unfiltered. Thanks for being here. Hope you enjoyed the overtime. See you next week.